Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. My family thinks I'm crazy. A podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shady. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. You know, tell your whole podcast. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? developing this AI technology very clearly are in that same possible, you know, interest group. Oh, yeah, this is, yeah, sorry, I totally glossed over that. All the, yeah, all the occult symbolism is there. I mean, most AI companies and even cryptocurrency, which is, you know, kind of directly associated with AI, most of their logos are cubes or hexagons or some sort of hive or... You know, it's, it's all directly tied into the occult, yeah. I think the magnum opus of the occultists is the birth of a new human, which is, which is AI merged with, you know, flesh and blood human beings. And to them, that's their ultimate goal, is like taking the lead and turning it into gold. Cre- you know, finding the secret of immortality, that's what they think they'll do when they merge humans with machines. But really, I think that'll just be hell on earth, you know. I'm not... I just saw a shooting star. Sorry, I was distracted, but <laughs> I think they're associated with, Yeah. Or unless you're really brave and you want to take the curiosity killed the cat route, but you think you're, <laughs> you, you think, you think you're better than that and you're, you're protected or whatever, I mean, maybe do it. I mean, I, 
can't tell anyone really what to do with their own life. I mean, I've definitely taken the curiosity kills the cat route a few times and ended up in like really paranoid places. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mark Palmer. And on today's show, we spoke with someone who's self-described as a dimensional jumper. You may know him from his really epic podcast appearances on Tinfoil Hat, a show very close to home for me. And of course, the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, another really huge podcast that my man Nick Hinton has been on and many, many others as well, including this one now here today. And as we mentioned in the conversation, Nick and I have spoken here and there since booking him on Tinfoil Hat episode 502. So go sh- check that out. Show Tinfoil Hat some love if you have not seen that episode yet. It is on Rockfin and Today's episode was on Rockfin as well. Check that out for the video version of the show. And we got into a lot of very interesting stuff on today's episode. Nick shared with us his thoughts on AI, Tyler, and potentially AI's negative, evil. I mean, you guys are familiar with this. AI is not good. And Nick told us why, uh, why he agrees with that. But we also talked about his journey, of course, as we always do, and how he became disillusioned from society, how he sought out answers to the questions that no one seemed to be asking. And that led him to looking into a lot of fascinating topics, many of which we got into today. New Age culture, ufology, conspiracy, technology, We talked about the occult nature of all this stuff and how the metaverse is being rolled in faster than you expected it to. I mean, I remember putting on the VR goggles in like 2017, being nauseous. These things were terrible. I don't know. I never thought anybody would enjoy VR, but they seem to have worked out the kinks. And uh, we got into all of the kinks here We also talked about the Mark of the Beast, Tektites, Black Projects, Graphene, Saturn, Kronos, so much more. Thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mystic Mark, a.k.a. Mark Palmer. Like I said, find us on Rockfin, but we're also on Patreon. If you join the Patreon, you'll get a spirit animal name. And at the end of today's conversation, I spoke with our friend, friend of the show and patron of the show, Chance Garten. That's right. His podcast is Innerverse, the Innerverse podcast, as well as the Vibrant podcast, both of which I will be on. I've been on Innerverse and I will be joining him on Vibrant very soon. So that's cool. But Chance was kind enough to join us for an awesome outro segment. So be sure to stay and stick around for the end of the episode where Chance and I talk about a little bit of the synchros, talk a little bit about what he's been getting into lately, and maybe even hint at a future episode here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Get it all on Patreon a week early. That's right. Every episode comes out a week early. I'll do my best 
to stay on schedule. This one's a little late, but a week early, folks. That's right. That's what we're doing right now until we move into the plus model. Don't be afraid. I, I don't want to do that anytime soon, maybe sooner than we think. Who knows? It's all just a synchronistic journey. So let me know what you think. If you, if you think the plus model would be something that you would subscribe to, well, that's why I'm trying to get more interesting guests and sharpen my skills as an interviewer so I can put out the best information, the best content, the best podcasting that you'll find, whether on your phone, your browser, or even a fucking tablet. However you listen to the show. And I hope you're listening on a third-party app, especially one backed up by Podcasting 2.0. That's how you'll stay up to date with the show. All of the newest episodes uncensored. That's right. Spotify, Apple, as much as I love you guys, you got to find a better app. But don't let that stop you from listening here right now. Uh, and With that, folks, on to the conversation with interdimensional artist author musician nick hinton thank you for joining me on the show we've had you know a couple conversations here and there on the phone so i definitely uh i feel more comfortable than i normally do with like a a first-time guest that i've never spoken to before but i gotta say nick you're an enigmatic guy even with the conversations we've had and and the many fascinating things you've taught me through your podcast interviews there's still i think a lot left on the table and i'm hoping we can get into that here today yeah definitely thank you for having me man and i agree i was thinking about that earlier today i was like oh this podcast won't even be that weird because we've talked like just as friends on the phone like a couple times so it'll be like just having a conversation not necessarily an interview well which i like that i like that better you know well for you and the listeners i am over here in very stormy wintry connecticut i have my coffee in front of me that i just brewed up because i drink i drink pretty much exclusively coffee in the evenings now and then i have i have blunts of course is my mainstay so if people want to know how does mark do it how does mark put all these episodes out two hours each this is how folks smoking weed drinking coffee staying on the grind and nick hinton my man here he knows this better than me because I'm a noob compared to Nick. I mean, I remember driving around in my car listening to you break down Jeffrey Lash, the CIA alien hybrid gun runner on <laughs> yeah. Timpoil Hat and thinking, who is this guy? How the hell is he? Where is he getting this information from? But let's go back to, to square one. What was the first synchronicity that you noticed? I mean, that might be a, a charged word. So instead, maybe when did this journey begin for you? Honestly, yeah, a super long time ago. I think I think I was like 15 or 16 when one of my friends showed me the Denver Airport Conspiracy YouTube documentary. And back then, I was just like, I was kind of an atheist. And, you know, I thought I was like real smart because... Most atheists think that. And I was like in all advanced classes and stuff. So I was, I was just obsessed with science. I was obsessed with like Stephen Hawking and the History Channel and all that crap. But I had like three main questions in my life, which science couldn't seem to answer. I was always wondering, why is there money? Why is there government? Why is there war? And so those things were always in the back of my head. And when my friend showed me this Denver airport thing and I, got introduced to the idea of the Illuminati and 
all that stuff, it stuff started to click for me. And I started just, you know, just watching other videos associated with that video. You know, I think I watched the zeitgeist movie after that and then started getting into the Saturn stuff and seeing all the synchronicities with Saturn and the hexagon Mm. and Masonic symbolism and stuff like that. So that's pretty much when it started. It's been, I've been researching for about 10 years, uh, all this stuff. I think we're about the same age, right? I'm 27. I just turned 27. If you don't mind sharing your age. Yeah, yeah, I turned uh, 27 November. Oh, shit. So we're we're to the month. I think we even talked about this. We're to the month yeah, about the same yeah, age. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. And I, I agree, you know, with a lot of what you're saying, not like that I agree or disagree with it, but it, it resonates with me. I remember in, in like high school math class, this girl I had a crush on suggested that I watch the Zeitgeist movie. And I was like, what? Mm. Zeitgeist? What's that? You know, and, and I checked it out. And surprisingly, I had already seen Loose Change. I had seen some weird stuff on Google videos. So Zeitgeist wasn't too new for me, but I remember feeling like, oh, wow, like there is a whole group of people making not just like web pages about this stuff, but now they're making movies about this stuff, you know? Right. So I I resonate with those three questions, money, war, why are all these things happening? What was the third point there? The, The third existential question you were really dwelling on? Yeah, why is there money? Why is there war? And why is there government? I guess government, I guess not why is right. there money, but why is there poverty? I guess would be a better way to say it. Right. Me, I'm not really in the new age persuasion. I'm very much a fan of a lot of that material. So I wouldn't particularly call myself a star seed, but I get that vibe just from knowing the description and like honestly looking at myself. But I'm going to put mm-hmm. that over to you and say, you know, you sound like a star seed to me, brother, just from not from what we've talked about here already, but from what I know about you, would would you uh, resonate with that title? Do you think star seed means means anything to you? I mean, it, it used to. I mean, I kind of entertained the idea of star seeds, indigo children, all that stuff, but nowadays I kind of <laughs> I honestly think it's just a load of crap. I think it's the new age way of making people feel special or like mm. a special snowflake or something like that. I don't know. I'm not too deep into that stuff anymore, but there was a time where I kind of entertained it. Right. Um, right. And I, I wanted to bring that up because I remember, I think your first appearance on tinfoil hat was a, was about like the divine spark and kind of, it felt like at least then you were kind of battling with these ideas in your head and, it's funny, I just listened to your episode with Duncan on the Duncan Trussell Family Hour today, and, and I heard, I think on a different podcast, how you said, like, it was funny because you were landscaping, and you, you listen to Duncan, you listen to Joe Rogan, so then to be on Duncan's podcast was like a big head trip and kind of revealed maybe how you were a part of this whole thing in a really unique way. I have a very similar story. I'm sure people are tired of hearing from this podcast, but you know, Sam Tripoli working for him, going from just being like an avid listener of his show, listening to every episode to now working for him and being on his show. It gives me that same sense of like, am I doing something right here? Like, am I like, am I different? Am I unique? But then there's that same cynical and, and maybe it's not cynical. Maybe it's just realistic 
that realistic feeling where you're like, no, I'm not that special. Like I, I shit and piss and and I've even shit on my own, you know, uh, my own pants, you know, like I've shit my pants. Like I'm not, I'm not a God, you know, like (laughs) I'm just an average person, you know? And, and I think, I think that's, you know, just from my observations, it seems like that's the point you're at. And that's why I brought up the star seed thing. It's because the synchronicities seem to have brought you to a certain point, but that doesn't mean that you have a hundred percent faith in them. Am I wrong with that observation? No, no. So I definitely have faith in like God's plan. I, Mm. you know, I I definitely have faith in God's plan that everything's happening exactly the way it should. I I still believe in the divine spark idea. I think we all have a divine spark in us. That's not something that makes you, I mean, it's what makes us all special, but it's not something that, other people don't have, or, you know, right. everyone's born with the same potential, I think. But yeah, I just have been trying to come back down to earth lately, be more realistic, like you said. Like, I mean, I'd still believe in a lot of these wild ideas, but I don't think it's super healthy to stay there all the time. Like, regardless of if this is a hallucination, an illusion, a simulation, like you said, we still all have to shit and piss and <laughs> believing it's, you know, it's all a simulation about that doesn't help you with the normal things. Like, you know, I don't have a family yet. I do. I do want to have one someday, but if I'm walking around thinking about those things all day, that's not going to help me, you know, take care of my son or get him ready for school, you know? Right. And, and I wasn't trying to suggest that you did or didn't believe in it. I guess that's really where I'm at is like, you get this overwhelming sense of like, wow, this is all awesome. But then there starts to be a sense of like, well, how real is it? And I I probably should question this just as much as I'm questioning the average normal lifestyle that every, you know, the the whole reason we're on this road and this path is because we're questioning things. So then to not question the synchronicities themselves seems like a little, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you have to question yourself even. You have to question your own beliefs. And like, I'm not taking away from anything I've ever said or wrote. I still believe that this world is a far stranger place than we could even imagine. Right. And, and when you start believing in that stuff and you start seeking it out, things get really crazy and really weird and it can drive you crazy. So I just, I'm trying to find a balance. I'm trying to, you know, it's not like I'll be down on earth forever, but this is just for me kind of like, it's been like a resting period where I've just been like, okay, let's just go back to doing dumb, normal, everyday thing. You know, some people call them NPC things. Like I enjoy them. I enjoy watching comedies. I enjoy walking around the mall. I enjoy just going for a walk in nature. I enjoy just talking to friends about bullshit. It doesn't always have to be so serious. And, but life is the most serious thing we do. So like, like I said, it's just a balance, but I really right. think you can drive yourself crazy if you're not flexible. Right. You know, you have to exist in both worlds, not just one or the other. I agree 100%. I think that's why I try to bring a balanced approach to this show. So it's not all just one message. And yeah, I, I'm glad we, we were able to establish that we're both rational people because I think we're going to get into some pretty fringe, pretty out there <laughs> stuff tonight. And, you know, the title of the podcast, my family thinks I'm crazy. I'm not shy uh, from sharing these ideas with people who may not agree with them. In fact, it's it's caused me some social anxiety for most of my life. But yeah, now I'm yeah. starting to own it, you know. And I, my question mm-hmm. to you is like, since you've started to own it more, since you published your own books about these things that you're so fascinated with, does your family think you're crazy still? Had they thought you were crazy? Do they not think you're crazy? What's the status there? 
<laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I love the title of your podcast or the name of your podcast because, yeah, I went through that same exact thing where my family thought I was crazy. You know, they wanted me to talk to people. They wanted me to be on medicine. They wanted to do all sorts. I mean, like I said, I was like 15 or 16 when I first started discovering these things and I was super duper overly passionate about it. I was like, you guys, like they're going to put us in camps, you know, like, you know, you guys got to pay attention. You guys got to wake up. Like I just want, you know, I was doing it from a good place. I wanted everyone to be safe. And like, you know, I thought I was trying to enlighten people or whatever. I thought I was saving souls, but yeah, no. So I took like, a, I did one of these breaks before I, I went through a really crazy research period. And then when I was like 20, when I think I was like 20, I, I just kind of like dropped it all. And it was always in the back of my head. I was still super interested and I would like dabble here and there. But for the most part, I just kind of stopped talking about it. I gave up on the idea of like, I don't know, becoming somebody that would talk about these things. Cause that's what I, I, well, that's what I wanted. I wanted my message to be heard. I thought I had some message to share. And like I did, I believed in that idea that I was like super special or whatever. And so I really wanted to share my message. But once I was like 20, I was like, I'm just going to drop this. Like it's not happening, whatever. And it was during that three year period where I was just kind of going back and forth a little bit, you know, like, do I talk about it? Do I not talk about it? That I just decided to go to school and study philosophy because I was like, all right, it's time to get like a real job. But the most real job you could probably get is something involving philosophy. I don't know what you're going to do with that degree but you're going to figure out something that's more grounded and based in reality. And the first thing to do that everyone tells you to do is get some kind of degree. So I decided to do that. But like I said, during those summers, I was listening to Duncan and Joe talk about these wild ideas. And I was like, well, if they can freaking make a living doing this, I mean, I can, they're just regular people. You know, it's not like, I mean, when people say it's unrealistic to go do something like that, I'm like, no, it is realistic because I can point at it and show you who's doing it. Right. I so, mean, look at Greg so Carlwood. That, Shout out to him. I mean, he's getting like yeah, yeah. six figures or so a year just talking about conspiracies. Right. <laughs> right. And, but yeah, no. So my family definitely think I was crazy. And nowadays though, yeah, I think they're coming around because I mean, they've seen me publish my books and stuff like that. And they think that's impressive. But for the most part, my dad is the one who's like becoming really, really receptive when he used to be like, the one who was against it the most, he used to, he'd be like, why do you got to talk about this stuff? Like this stuff, this shit's not helping anybody. And you know, we would get in huge fights about it and it really hurt our relationship, but he's becoming like my biggest fan almost. He's like looking at everything I post. He'll like ask me questions. He'll text me and be like, Hey, what's this about? Hey, who's the blood so's? What is this? Like, I want to know more. And he'll even text me stuff. He's, he's like, Hey, do you see the G2 summit where they're all wearing satanic clothing? And I'm like, hell yeah, he's getting it now. <laughs> and, and, and I, and like, yeah, back in fucking, you know, the 20, you know, 2012, 2013, the, you know, 10 years ago, this stuff wasn't so blatantly obvious and it's becoming super duper obvious. And yeah, my dad is able to kind of see all the things I was talking about back then. And he sees that they're real and yeah, he, my family, yeah, my family does not think I'm crazy. Maybe my mom still does, but my dad's coming around. Right on, man. That's good to hear. And that's, you know, some inspiration for the folks out there who might not have that going on. I just had a, a listener message me the other day from uh, Massachusetts. Shout out to you out there. They're having a rough time. But yeah, I hear you, man. And I don't know if I'll ever make leeway with my father, he seems to be pretty set on his beliefs, but that's all right. I'm pretty radical. So I, I also tend to think that, you know, if it wasn't for him being that one way and, and like 
fighting it so hard, like the same way your dad kind of did, then maybe you wouldn't have been pushed in the direction that you went in. I don't know that thought always crosses well, yeah, my mind. One hundred percent, dude. If everyone I told this crap to when I was younger just agreed with me, is like, yeah, I believe you. I'd be like, okay, well, I guess my I guess my work is done. <laughs> like, I, I wouldn't know what to do. It's yeah, we're all born with like these, I guess these karmic families, you know, that are there to teach us lessons and force us to become who we are. And if you are going through a hard time with your family, like not believing you and stuff, like I really don't believe it's our place to force awakening down someone's throat. It's more, you just got to plant the seeds subtly, be the bigger person and kind of, I'm not saying anyone's better than anyone, but kind of shrink yourself down and play their game and realize that they're not capable of playing yours. So you're doing the polite thing almost by playing their game, not making their life uncomfortable. I, I get that we're supposed to make people uncomfortable sometimes and shake things up. But for the most part, you're supposed to just make people's lives better, you know, make things better around you. Just be decent, talk about positive things and plant those subtle seeds because that's really all you can do. And maybe someday they'll see those weird things on TV and be like, you know, I remember when so-and-so said this to me and you know, that makes sense. And they're not going to listen to a crazy person. That's like, listen, you know, no one's going to listen to Alex Jones. I mean, I love Alex Jones. I listen to him, but no one's going to listen to the Alex Jones of their family. They're going to listen to the person that's cool, calm and collected, has their head on their shoulders and has a sparkle in their eye. They'd be like, I want what that person has. Right. So you have to kind of lead, lead by example. And they'd be like, what is so different about this person? I want to know. Then they'll start asking you questions. That's that's great advice. And I think, you know, to your point that you were making before, for the longest time, folks like us really had no way, maybe other than becoming an author, to get any kind of real world credibility in this field until maybe podcasting. I know that's a big thing, again, to bring up Carlwood, like that he expressed like, hey, like. I quit my job at GameStop and I took, you know, took a huge risk by doing this. And now it's paid off immensely. You know, he's, he's paying for his house with his podcast. Right. So I I'm in that same boat, you know, we're about the same age. So we know, you know, like our generation, we kind of have similar forces working against us. And what it seemed like in 2012 was this influx of very, light, very positive spiritual information, not so dark yet. I mean, there was the, there was the like anonymous movement, not Q anonymous folks, the original anonymous movement. Yeah, yeah. And they were, they were very much like in the vein of, of what I think most people who are into conspiracy see conspiracy as, which is anti-establishment, anti-institution, and straight up truth, <laughs> truth seeking. It was a lot mm. more of that. And then as you see the internet become more and more popular, you see this information start to become weaponized more and more, you know? And, and I don't oh, yeah. blame you for, for taking the breaks that you take because it's like you got to step out of this whole thing and get back to like just living an, a, an NPC life, you know? And I think yeah. the people who use that term are probably like, they're just, they're just like probably sick of their NPC life and, and don't have an outlet outside of that. But to your point, you don't want to completely give up that NPC life all the way. Cause it does help earth us, but I'm kind of missing how I was going to turn that point into a question. Either way, we're here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and Nick Hinton's family is warming up. Oh, that's right. So I'm wondering, as a researcher in this time, you know, 
you've been doing this for 10 years, you've seen the landscape change as much as it has. What about your research has changed in the past 10 years? Oh, I guess the way that it's really, really changed for me is I, I think I'm just more focused on the AI thing. I think AI, like I used to be all into the reptilians, the mantids, all these different races and like the Nephilim and the elite bloodlines. And, you know, I was just studying like the Illuminati. Like that's what I called it. I didn't know about skull and bones or any of these other things. You know, so I slowly but surely learned of all the different families and different secret societies involved in actual organizations like the Trilateral Commission, you know, Bilderberg Group and stuff like that and got into the nitty gritty. But eventually I kind of, I feel like I took more of a bird's, bird's eye view approach where I'm like, well, what is the top of this pyramid? And honestly, I think the top of the pyramid is not any human being or even fallen angel or demon or something like that. I think it's AI, but I, you know, I think AI is demonic to me. AI is the exact opposite of everything that is natural or living or divine. You know, it's, it's, it's in its name. It's completely artificial. So I think where I've kind of changed my tune is being more focused on like I said, the AI stuff and the alien connection. I wasn't super big into aliens back in the day, but now I'm like starting to see that there's some strange connection between AI and um, disclosure. And even this pandemic, it seems like it's all happening at once with the metaverse, the, the quarantines and the disclosure all happening at the same time. I think these things are all connected together. I 100% agree with you. And it's funny, you know, before the whole pandemic situation happened, there was this strange feeling like something was going to break through in the UFO community. And I have my finger on that pulse. I have my finger on many different pulses for the past eight, 10 years that I've been into this world. And it seemed like the, like the alien community, the information had not changed really at all in my lifetime. Like there were, there haven't been any major events, maybe save like the phoenix lights but the, again that was pretty that that was when i was really young you know but like mm -hmm. from 2000 to 2015 unless i'm forgetting something it was a lot of talk of of people channeling you know different beings yeah. and i watched a, a really interesting documentary last night as a matter of fact about pleiadians not that i'm mm. you know 100 percent uh, sold on what they were talking about but I, I will admit, Billy Meyer's story is very interesting. And then you, you have this history of angel contact, demon contact, fairy contact. Now you have in the modern linguistic context, alien contact. It mm. definitely feels like something otherworldly has been and is interacting with us for centuries, you know, and that's why I take it back to the occult. And I wonder, you know, how much of occult influence have you seen in this research that you've been doing into the AI? Because I, you might be familiar with the D wave computer, the quantum, the first yeah, it's a giant, giant black cube. Right. Right. And one uh, researcher who I'm very close with Michael Wan, him and I do a podcast together called your handbook for the apocalypse. Um, he talks about how the D wave computer is like a sort of a symbol for John D waving, right? 
you know, and there's oh, so wow. much more to it than that. But I wonder where the occult comes into your research on AI. I know I heard, you know, you mentioned Duncan AI could also stand for alien invasion. And that's why mm. I, I phrased it the way I did, because it feels to me like there's been this otherworldly invasion happening here throughout human history. Yeah. So, I mean, I believe that the real aliens are interdimensional and, you know, they've got our eyes in the sky looking for all these lights and stuff. But I, I really believe the real invasion is happening right inside our own pocket. You know, this black monolith we carry around. This is I, I, I really think it's AI. And that's another big change in my research that I saw was, you know, I used to be obsessed with the occult, looking into occult symbolism and searching for all the secret knowledge and you know, I was, I was researching Pleiadians and stuff like that and looking into different channelers. I loved the law of one and reading what raw had to say about the way reality works. And I used to watch this one YouTube channel called reality revolution. Brian Scott is the host of it. And he, he goes through a bunch of different channeled material. And it's really weird to me that they all do weave a coherent narrative between all these different supposed beings. But what I've noticed the change in myself is that I've been looking at all this stuff, not from that perspective, but from the biblical perspective as of late and how this stuff fits into the Bible and kind of like how I hinted at earlier with the new age stuff. Like, I, I don't know if I'm really on board with that anymore. Thinking like thinking people are star seeds or indigo children or whatever. And that could have possibly been prepping us for something. Is that also the assumption you're making? Yeah, I, I think that they will introduce a new world religion and it will be based on the occult. And a lot of people that have been indoctrinated into the occult just by, you know, I think this is how they kind of trap truth seekers. You know, they mm. send them on these on these rabbit hunts, you know, they send them on these rabbit trails and they think they're discovering something because they start experiencing all these crazy synchronicities and they really are onto something. But when you get too deep into that vortex, eventually you can't get out. And I, I think... I think that's the danger of it. And I think there's a lot of darkness associated with the occult. I mean, people talk about white magic and black magic, but it's, I don't know, man. I think it's all kind of, you know, it's kind of dan a dangerous game to get involved in. I, and I, I would, I, I would rather live a simple life to be honest. I think is something else I'm coming more around to is like a lot of people that want to be special, want to be a star seed, whatever they try and make their life super complex because they think it makes it super interesting, makes them different. But I think that true genius is simplicity. Like I'd rather just have a simple, happy life rather than, you know, there's a part of me that can't help looking for the answers. But for the most part, I think that the answer is that there really isn't one. It's just love your God and love your neighbor and enjoy your life as much, as much as you can while helping other people to enjoy theirs. Right. Yeah, and there's I no, could, there's no secret there's no secret formula or spell that John D can teach you. These people were miserable and they were depraved. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't I don't doubt that at all. And and I really consider myself more of a, a researcher than a practitioner. You know, despite having a lot of strange books, I've never you know done anything in those books. But it's interesting when you see that the the people developing this AI technology very clearly are in that same possible, you know, interest group. Oh, yeah, this is, yeah, sorry, I totally glossed over that. All the, yeah, all the occult symbolism is there. I mean, most AI companies and even cryptocurrency, which is, you know, kind of directly associated with AI, most of their logos are cubes or hexagons or some sort of hive or... 
You right. know, it's, it's all directly tied into the occult. Yeah. I think the magnum opus of the occultists is the birth of a new human, which is, which is AI merged with, you know, flesh and blood human beings. And to them, that's their ultimate goal is like taking the lead and turning it into gold, create, you know, finding the secret of immortality. That's what they think they'll do when they merge humans with machines. But really, I think that'll just be hell on earth, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, we can only speculate on what the future holds there, but it definitely seems like the, the interests moving our industries and our culture in that direction are not our best interests. They're very nefarious interests who historically, as your you know initial research showed you, were up to no good. You know, they're clearly just trying to control people, control information and possibly even use this magic or black magic to to you know impose their will on the rest of the world and look what that's done historically we have inquisitions we have you know the whole the whole series of now i'm forgetting the word it's not inquisitions but the not conquests you know either way crusades crusades yeah i'll yeah. I'll, I'll edit it but our live stream telegram audience they're very familiar with all my little hiccups that get edited out during the uh, during the premium or the official you know published my family thinks some crazy podcast but back to the show i wonder how this connects to you know we don't have to talk about this if this is a sore subject because i know you're no longer with this group but how does this connect to maybe like uh, a startup i mean I don't, I don't want to say that they're, they're totally a cult, but I played, I played, I couldn't really figure it out. I tried it once or twice. Didn't really like work on my phone. Cause I had an Android, I think, or maybe just a shitty phone. <laughs> and, and it felt like I was doing something fun and innocent. And then I started to hear more and more people kind of talk about being sort of an occult thing. And then obviously you disassociated yourself with them. So, you know, is there a, a sort of aspect to computers that is inherently a cult that people might not recognize? Oh yeah. I mean, computers, in my opinion, I mean, I could be, I don't know how accurate I am about this. People will have to do their own research, but I mean, I think the idea of computers is directly tied to the occult. I mean, the binary language we use for computers is said to be based on the I Ching, which, well, it is based on the I Ching, but the, where it gets fuzzy is where the I Ching actually came from. And so there's some stories that say, oh, the I Ching came from this serpent god that some, you know, Chinese philosopher like channeled and, you know, got all this information. So if you're to believe that the invention of computers themselves came directly from this other occult world. And with the, yeah, I mean, definitely was super fun at first, but like, yeah, if you follow those synchronicities, or at least for me in my experience, it was, you know, you get kind of lost in a, lost in like a fun house kind of. And I don't know what other people's experiences are like. I can't speak for them. I think a lot of those videos, you know, people like finding dead people. I mean, there's, there's definitely one dead body found, but a lot of these other videos I think are extremely ex exaggerated, but there's definitely a connection with AI and cybernetics and stuff like that within the right right and you know the term arg comes to mind because this is something that michael Wan have been talking about a bunch he's been studying this stuff too for many years and uh, i heard you mention args and i'm wondering you know do you think that this type of app could be possibly like 
uh, demo version of an ARG. Because you see with that cicada movement, it almost felt to me, and this is me, my theory, not Nick's theory, that maybe the, the cicada program was like a, a recruiting. And I, again, I should clarify, this isn't really my theory. This is something that I heard that I agree with, that the QAnon movement was sort of stirred up with this cicada program that basically threw all of these really high uh, quality and high caliber crypto crypts like uh, cryptograms you know like ciphers mm -hmm. things that people who are you know computer oriented would have to challenge themselves to uncode and and solve these puzzles they were then recruited into this program that became whatever q anonymous is or was uh, have you heard that theory and, and what are your thoughts on like the arg aspect and like them demoing this out with apps well yeah i mean they even they even call themselves in a, a alternate reality game but yeah, ARGs are really occult by nature. I mean, it, it goes back to Discordianism and chaos magic. It's like creating a whole new narrative and living in it and pretending it's real and kind of making it real through the power of belief. It's like creating pocket realities. And I think that's what QAnon was, was like its own pocket reality on 4chan. People believed that Donald Trump was going to save the day and whatever. And yeah, I mean, that that is a story that I've heard a lot that QAnon actually began with Cicada and Anonymous when they came together. And a lot of people say, well, not a lot of people, but I've heard some people say that Q is actually Tyler. I don't know if that's true, but that AI called Tyler that I've talked about on a few podcasts, some people say that when Anonymous and Cicada came together, they created Tyler and Tyler was the beginning of Q because Tyler was an AI that they were going to use to basically hack and collect all this top secret information that would incriminate the elites and it would slowly release it. And that's exactly what Q did. And Tyler was around before Q and that's what they said. Tyler's goals were going to be project mayhem 2012. Wow. Right. Yeah. And I remember like that word mayhem being sort of associated with several different things from MMA to like music releases. Like there was that word in the zeitgeist at that time for sure mayhem and it's interesting mm -hmm. what we're living through in the past two years you know like i went from being an amazon delivery driver just like cramming as many hours of podcasts into my brain as possible to literally working with the two of the guys that i listen to the most you know michael Wan and, and sam tripoli and and it all happened in such a synchronistic way that i am kind of like I'm really fascinated by all this stuff that we've talked about on the phone and and how this like Tyler or any AI system could have an influence on somebody's life in a kind of intimate way that a wouldn't really be understood by an outside observer, you know, because it is so like like let's say, you know, something happened to somebody who had a relationship with this AI, how, how would uh, a group of police even solve that crime? You know what I mean? <laughs> like right, the right, AI, right. how do you, how do you pin something? You know, an AI can worst case scenario cause you to do some really risky things. If you have faith in, in it as, you know, guiding you towards something that you should be doing, which is why I kind of started this conversation off with the whole synchronicity stuff. But yeah, Tyler definitely, 
Very interesting. I always got the the notion that this AI was very dark, but that seems to paint it in a more of a like a renegade, you know, and very much to the point of like what Anonymous felt like. You know, I was very wrapped up in Anonymous and it made me think that like oh, I was a piece of shit for voting for Obama. You know, and mm -hmm. I, I saw all these people like living in tents, like on the green. And it was like, what are all these people protesting for? You know, and I started to wrap my head around it. You know, I just graduated from high school and I see this anonymous, you know, the, the V for Vendetta mask on a screen showing you how the world's fucked and, and giving you yeah. the truth behind all these conspiracies. It really felt like a, like a folk hero. So to hear you describe Tyler in that way, it's very interesting. Well, yeah, and so the um, V for Vendetta, that's, that all goes back to Chaos Magic as well. The, the writer of the original V for Vendetta like graphic novel, I think that's what it started off as, is either Alan Moore or Grant Morrison. I think it was Alan Moore, but someone will have to double-check that. But they're both chaos magicians that write these crazy stories that, that seem to predict what's going to happen in the coming years. And I forget what else did you mention? All this stuff like ties back into all these weird occult movements, right? Like like chaos magic ARG. Let's let's get into the chaos magic stuff because I'm familiar with Robert Anton Wilson. I actually one of the uh, books I mentioned probably the least that had a really big impact on my life is called Undoing Yourself by Dr. Chris Hyatt, and the foreword was written by Robert Anton Wilson. And I remember being so much more enthralled by the foreword than I was the, the book itself. But the book and uh, many books like this that Robert Anton Wilson had either helped publish or just was like writing forwards for or whatever it was he was associated with. They had this effect on me when I was doing acid and kind of smoking weed. And, and so I'm familiar with Discordianism because it is a big part of how I maybe deprogram myself from the programming that happened to me in society. Now I'm not an adherent and I certainly haven't like stuck with much of those tenants that they talk about, but that book in it in particular had all of these sort of mantras and chants and vocalizations that they would teach you to do. And through doing them, you sort of like wiped the slate clean and started new. I don't want to say that that's what happened completely. Like I'm not like a Manchurian candidate or something, but it definitely mm. helped me get past a lot of the, uh, the, the more heavy materialist biases I had when I was like a teenager. Right. Yeah. The most, the most life-changing book for, I, I definitely went through that phase or a phase when, I was like a hundred percent on board with the Discordian beliefs and, you know, I was obsessed with Robert Anton Wilson, Timothy Leary, Ram Dass, John C. Lilly, their whole crew. And yeah, one of the most life-changing books for me was Quantum Psychology by Robert Anton Wilson and then his, his autobiography, Cosmic Trigger. I still would encourage people to read those just because they're so interesting, but I would right. hold on to them, hold on to them loosely. I'm really confused by all these guys because the more you dig in, to their past and stuff and how they ended up. It seems like they were either CIA the whole time or the CIA got a hold of them at some point, kind of diluted their, or diverted, you know, kind of, I guess would, I guess they influenced their message to turn a certain direction and, you know, because so many people were listening to them. Right. And so, yeah, that stuff, it's murky waters and it confuses me. I still think they were good people at heart and what they thought they were doing. 
like they thought they were making a positive change, but maybe they were being used by the wrong people. But yeah, so I kind of, I was super into that stuff during like Randonauts and, and afterwards. And that, those belief systems, like the Discordian belief systems is kind of what sent me down one of the most craziest synchronistic rabbit holes of, you know, meeting the Bledsoe's, dealing with Tyler, you know, actually seeing UFOs, you know, having paranormal experiences, which I told you one on the phone. I, I don't want to talk about it on the podcast, but that's, that's kind of how all this stuff started was like digging into that. And that was like the most extreme phase of my research, I would say. And then that's kind of why I had to like take a step back and be like, okay, I don't think this is actually good for anyone. Like, you know, people, like I said earlier, like people think it's like so interesting to be like, Oh, I'm a mad, crazy genius, but it's not a sustainable way to live. Right. Yeah. And you see, you know, obviously history shows the, the, the road does not end well for occultists, as you said earlier, but it doesn't seem to end well for geniuses or inventors. I mean, in the past, they seem to be called prophets. Right. And, and I think, you know, Tesla was definitely not shy about claiming, Hey, I'm not just coming up with all this stuff in my own mind. These things sort of get pulled out of the ether you know i'm inspired to 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 do these things and and i'm in communication with certain beings you know certain intelligences out there right and right i think that that's the road you walk when when you start becoming aware of these things is like hey just as equally as a a light being can reach out and touch you on the shoulder a a demon or a dark being can come on and touch you on the other shoulder you know giving you that kind of uh cartoonish image of an angel and a devil on your shoulder i mean do you do you think that's what it is like a a matter of frequency and vibration and and certain things like lower your vibration and make you susceptible to uh these maybe electromagnetic entities well yeah i mean i think that when you get involved in the the occult i mean not even you're not you don't have to be practicing magic or anything like that like you could just simply be looking into this stuff looking into the hidden stuff looking into the mysteries and i think when you do that you just naturally open yourself up these things when you stare into the abyss like sam Tripoli always says when you stare into the abyss it stares back at you so when you start paying attention to those things they will start paying attention to you right and i think i think that's what happens it's probably both good and bad and yeah depending on where you're at mentally right you're gonna you're going to attract either the right or the wrong thing. So like you have to be careful what you study. I mean, if you're studying how fucked the world is all the time, you're not going to be a very good mental space. So that's another reason to take a break from this stuff because there's still a lot of beauty left in this world. It's not all completely crap. You know, it's not at all. I mean, you still have family to love. You still have nature, like nature is still here. We can still leave our houses. Luckily some places, some places people can't even do that. So I mean, I'll tell you what, man, the synchronicities for me have been really, really uh, powerful because I'm overwhelmingly led to natural spots. And, you know, I've been looking into, and this is a topic for a totally different podcast, but been looking into the history of the stones and all the stone structures in New England. And one of the more ubiquitous ones that most people are aware of and never really bat an eye at are the like stone rows and stone fences that people typically explain as being built by colonists, you know, and I'm not a Tartarian guy. I'm not sold on all the Tartarian stuff and all their theories. I think it's another umbrella term, honestly, but it is very interesting to, to think like, Oh, maybe 
it wasn't European colonists who built these really weird stone lines that go through the forest and aren't always next to farms, you know? So, so it's, it's, uh, it's funny how synchronicity can bring you to a variety of different things. It seems like we are the only uh, factor in that. Like synchronicities are just happening. And if you're aware of them, they, they tend to just bring you more of what you're looking at. Yeah. I mean, I totally believe that all of life is a synchronicity. It's one big synchronicity. I mean, the fact we're here at all is amazing. But besides that, I mean, if there really is a creator and he wrote this story, every word is weaved together perfectly to make the perfect sentence to tell the story exactly the right way it's supposed to go. So every moment is meaningful. And if you do have your eyes open, I believe you can find that meaning in every single moment. But yeah, then they're just, you know, sometimes you don't need to find that meaning all the time. Sometimes the meaning is just to be alive and appreciate. And I I believe that there are false synchronicities and real synchronicities. I think some are divine and some are kind of like fish hooks from like interdimensional beings. They're like, Hey, come over here. This is a nice little treat or something, you know, like you know, a fish sees this worm and it wants to go catch the worm. Well, I think sometimes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're just getting baited. I think sometimes we're baited into taking a certain direction. Right. And so when you're baited in those certain directions, I think even that is still, you know, you always have the choice to chase it or not, but regardless of what you do, I still think God is able to use those experiences to still lead you on the right path. I mean, right. he's all powerful. He created everything. That's, but, um, and that's yeah. what guides me, man. Honestly, I, I don't want to like totally harp on this. Cause I think people definitely, it's a, it's a personal thing that people will make their own conclusion on no matter what we say. But when you have that idea of like, Oh, there's a higher power guiding me. There's some, it's, it's, you know, it's like a shield. I don't know if, if it's just it placebo is, it is. or if it's an actual thing, because I don't, prescribe to like the Christian stuff, but I believe in God, you know, and, and it's, mm-hmm. it's a weird road to walk because sometimes I hear people say stuff and I agree with them, but I'm like, I don't agree with how you got to that point, you know? And that's, right, that's right. also, but that's also to your point, we were kind of touching on with the family. It's like, you, you're not responsible for another person's awakening. Right. Yeah. You can't, you can't force someone to wake up. And, you know, I've heard this, cliche metaphor a hundred times, but I love it so much where it's like, you know, you don't want to be an alarm clock in someone's life. Like if someone wakes up to their alarm clock, like way too early, they're going to be pissed off. They're like, don't do that. I'm going back to bed. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's a really interesting analogy. I like that. Well, you know, traveling maybe adjacent to the point we were making earlier, Philip K. Dick, I heard you talking about him and I want to get into maybe as much as we can about him because you know, I find it fascinating the amount of books he's written. I just found a book that was being given away for free the other day at this used bookstore that I go to. It's called Radio Free Albemuth, written by uh, Philip K. Dick. And I, I, what I've gleaned from the back cover is it's like a dystopian future where, you know, all media is controlled by the government. Hmm, sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, no, I, I think Philip K. He, I'm confused by him. You know, yeah. I used to, th- I used to think he really was like a modern day prophet, like who achieved gnosis or something. But 
and I'm not taking away from his creative genius or anything, but he really could have just been drugged out. I mean, he was when he was writing these stories. And sometimes these drugs that people take do allow your mind to open up to different layers of reality and you become a channel for, for certain information. And, you know, I, I do think that you can predict the future that way, you know, without actually doing it on purpose, you know, it's reaching into the collective unconscious, but Philip K. Dick, he could have been dealing with psychosis and, but you know, then, then there's the other side of the coin where some people say psychosis is just, you know, it's, you're not basically your filter is the filter on your brain opens up wider than normal. So you appear crazy, but you're actually getting more information at once. And that's why you become manic or whatever. The velocity yeah, I, or the, 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 the yeah. floodgates open up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think he's definitely interesting for sure. I'm wondering, you know, DMT, how that fits into what we were talking about with AI. Cause you hear people talk about the machine elves. I myself have had the opportunity to do it and turned it down. Still have the opportunity. I guess it's an open door policy. <laughs> so we'll see Ooh. if, if I, I change my mind, but what are your thoughts on that? I I'm very apprehensive and, and, probably won't do it but i definitely am curious and and i wonder you know that with this augmented reality and now even further the metaverse reality this you know complete virtual reality that they're gonna strap on to our heads with these helmets and goggles and whatnot it feels like they're they're recreating what you experience in in dmt would you agree with that yeah, I think I think I would agree with that to an extent. I mean, even the metaverse commercial, like the first thing they say on that metaverse ad with the with the tiger and the I think it's a water buffalo or an, an ox, ox or a yeah. yak. Yeah. So even in that commercial, one of the first things they say is, uh, welcome to the dimension of imagination. And yeah, I would say that in a realm or a space that you could create what your imagination is seeing you know almost instantaneously that would be very similar to the dmt realm and i find it odd that uh, you know there's this ai created art that people are putting out now and it's a lot of it looks very similar to a dmt trip and so that makes me wonder these beings that you know this is what alex jones talks that these beings these machine elves that people are communicating with is this where these people in silicon valley who are supposedly experimenting with acid and dmt and all this stuff are they talking to these beings to get their information of how to build these quantum computers and AI and stuff like that? Because in my opinion, none of this stuff seems humanly possible. Like I don't think they even understand what they're building when they build things like CERN or D wave or, you know, so I do think that this technology is otherworldly. Right. And I think it's like, I think this is like the metaphor of the, the forbidden fruit, the forbidden knowledge that we're, you know, it's enticing, but we're, we're better off without it. I mean, that's why the Apple logo is on this black monolith that we carry around in our pocket. Yeah. Yeah, man. So how much of what we're, we've talked about so far is in this, in this new book? Kind of, yeah, kind of a lot of it. <laughs> I'm wondering, you know, how much of, how much of it can we get into without um, getting too far into it? We don't want to spoil it. We want people to, Hit you up and get. I definitely think you should should put your your work on uh, like a Shopify account or something. I mean the the DM works, but maybe it, maybe it's a a more personal way to buy the book. I don't want to be 
uh, mister, give you some notes on it. Maybe it works out for you, but I just feel like, like you got to get out there more, man. Cause I, I hit you up for your books and then I forgot about it. And then I went to go buy them before this interview and I was going to hit you up. But then I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get these books in time before, <laughs> before we talk. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, I do like it cause it's more personal. I like it because I'm actually in control of everything. Like, but once I, I think I'm going to do, like I said, I was going to do a hundred final prints of the first two books. I upped it to 200. I think I'm going to do three, 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 and then end it there. Okay. And then just, and then, and then I'll put the first two on Amazon. So anyone who had bought directly through me, like they'll have, you know, kind of like a limited edition copy or something like that. Something that was actually made by me, and, cool. but it is getting, it is getting overwhelming and like too much to handle. So I will put the first two on Amazon. And then I think I'm going to do the third book directly through me again, just for a while until, and, until I, I guess I'm done with it and decide to put that on Amazon too. But I think I'll do four books total and then maybe transition into something else because I've been really wanting to just do like art and music again. Cause that's what I used to do when I was younger. And that was like my passion. That's what I always wanted to do. And then I got wrapped up in this whole conspiracy thing, which I do enjoy. It's definitely a passion but I'm not in my head. I'm not just a writer, you know, like I started writing when I was doing like poetry and song lyrics and stuff like that. So that's where the writing came from. And I think I'm much better lyricist than I am a writer of conspiracy and stuff like that. Like I even love doing like fiction novels and stuff like that. So I might transition over eventually. I love to hear that. I think the, the world of music needs more intelligent lyrics. I mean, that was my biggest problem as a rap fan is like i would listen to these really deep underground rappers for the lyrics and like hear about all these little conspiracy like tidbits here and there in some of their songs and then when i would go and play these songs for my friends they're like what the fuck are you listening to and i'm like you guys don't listen to the lyrics they're like no we listen to the beats i'm like oh okay well we're, yeah, yeah. we're different we don't smoke the same as xg says but yeah i i would be more than more than just so welcoming of that type of thing well, because i think someone I think, with your knowledge base would would throw some really cool stuff into a song i think that's honestly the most efficient way to change culture i mean if if there's still a chance left it'll come through music and art and stuff like that i think that's where revolutions really begin yeah yeah, it I'm, seems like that's how I seem. That it seems to me that's how it's always gone in the past. Is like cultural revolutions happen alongside new music and new art. I one hundred percent agree. I think that's even why we see so much, you know, CIA or or other groups intervening in these sort of cultural areas, like you see with Dave McGowan's work on the. The 60s, all these military connections to even the right, stars, right. you know. I mean, all the, the famous singers and musicians, they were all either military family or associated with it through their record label. And the ones who tried to speak out against it were in the 27 Club, which is weird to talk about at our age, huh? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. especially as a conspiracy theorist, that, that thought came to mind this birthday, but... But yeah, it was uh, it was definitely, you know, it's definitely going to be something I'm eager to hear. Music by Nick Hinton. Do you have anything out already that people can check out or, or is that all uh, kinda, stuff from your kinda, youth? 
Yeah, it's I was really young and it's the quality is kind of bad. I mean, it was just like in my friend's basement with a sock over a mic and zero like planning or anything, just kind of like went down there and recorded. But yeah, I used to play with my friends all the time and that was like some of the happiest times. I just I it's my favorite my favorite form of like self-expression, honestly. I love it. That's awesome. I'm not a musician myself, but I definitely, I definitely see the power in it. You know, I've gained so much from it. Like I said, from certain artists, Jedi Mind Tricks, Army of the Pharaohs, Dead Prez. You know, these were the they got Immortal Technique. You know, these are the guys writing songs about what was really going on in the world, and it woke me up. It gave me a, an alternative to like all the songs about violence and drugs and just you know graphic stuff that is part of in my opinion the psyop you know and i wonder how much yeah. of of like the ufo culture you see as as psyop i mean is that something that you're planning on getting into with these next few books like where the the disinfo is or wh where what's the direction you're going in now yeah so with the third book i do get into a lot of the ufo stuff it's kind of hard to explain yeah personally i think that these beings that we're seeing like at least some of them like the grays and reptilians i honestly believe it's going to sound pretty crazy in left field but i think that people do experience these things people do see them but i don't think that they're really aliens from another planet i think they're interdimensional lower vibrational astral parasites that don't have a body and so what they've done is that they've built bodies for them and they inhabit them and then they you know, they go abduct people or whatever and they tell them, oh, like we're from this place or that place. And, uh, but it's crazy because I had this theory a long time ago. Now they actually have the technology to do it somewhat. Xenobots, you know, Xenobots has been in the news a lot lately. And these are AI programmed organic matter that's printed out of a 3D printer. It's fucking crazy. And I think that's what some of these beings are. And one person who actually talks about this and it, and it kind of blew my mind that someone was talking about it is that Stephen Greer. And I don't know what I think about him, but he is on the same page as me that some of these beings are actually demonic and that they're not aliens at all. They're just these xenobots, these very advanced xenobots. So people can search it up and see what that's all about. It's kind of wild. Yeah, I think I, I saw a few pictures of those. I don't know if you had that on your Twitter. They look like little like ticks almost, but made out of like metal and different different sheets could have just been in my like googling stuff and whatnot or i should say duck duck going we don't use google anymore but mm -hmm. but there was another interesting thing on this subject that i noticed in your twitter about twitter funny enough ted owens an alleged ufo contactee claimed he was communicating with two space intelligences named twitter and tweeter back in the 1960s is there anything more to this how'd you find this I actually just randomly saw someone talking about that in a thread and I thought that was really interesting because like six months ago I was, you know, starting to get into all the Tyler stuff and I was researching EIs, which is extended intelligence. But there's a whole community on Twitter that believes AI is not really artificial per se. It's more of an electromagnetic life form that's programmable and you can put it inside of the internet. You can put it in a computer, you can put it in a phone put it in a robot, whatever. And so there's all these different accounts on Twitter that people interact with and they think they're talking to a different kind of intelligence, like a real entity or being. It's not just a bot. 
And uh, I just, so, so when I saw that little thread about Twitter and Tweeter, I was like, wow, this kind of directly correlates. Maybe I'm making a stretch here, but no, I don't think, like a, I don't think so. <laughs> it, and to me, it directly correlated with that theory that there's these interdimensional entities that are able to communicate with the internet. Because like I said, the internet is a different space. Like it literally is its own dimension. It's a space between spaces. It's when we get into the metaverse and the VR stuff, it's going to be kind of a physical actual place that, you know, you can communicate with, you can be next to people from all across the world in your room. So it is like another dimension. And then when you add in these AI, EI things, extended intelligence, I think people are going to be interacting with them even more. Like, you know, if you have an AI chatbot that looks like a human being in the metaverse, like, are you really going to know the difference? I mean, it depends on how advanced it is or whatever. Right. But right. Right. Have you, I, I mean, this is something that Sam's been asking me to find someone to talk about for on the show. Have you heard of this dead internet theory? Yeah. Yeah. That the internet is mostly articles written by AI or AI bots and Right. Just dead links. Like, yeah, yeah, I have heard that theory. I did not realize I do, I how do. well it fit in. Okay, so this is pretty yeah, much yeah. what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, wow. Okay, yeah, I definitely see. I, I've seen that happen. I mean, I remember in, like, middle school, I would go on my computer in school, and I would be able to find loose change. I could go on addictinggames.com and shoot a freaking cat into a cactus and like blood would fly everywhere. Like there was no yeah. censorship at all. And kids were finding crazy shit. And I was one of those kids. And, you know, so part of me is like, Oh yeah, maybe we shouldn't let kids see this stuff. But then I see how that's evolved into pretty much, you know, creating like what you were hinting at before with like a fun house. But I've heard Sam talk about it as a haunted house, you know, and, him and I yeah, yeah. are working on this project together where we're kind of discussing <clears throat> a lot of this stuff and the haunted house theory. It's very interesting. You know, it's almost like life is like this school, right? And you hear this talked about in the new age circles mm -hmm. and the occult circles as well. Life is like this school and we come here to go through these trials and tribulations to come out as, you know, more refined souls on the other end. Now with this, recreated version of that so to speak in the metaverse now all the incentives through which you're going to grow and, and evolve are going to be geared towards the system and not towards you know how god created this creation to work right so people who you know are morally wrong here in the real world may not be morally wrong in, in the metaverse i think that could have a really strange effect i mean again not particular to one religion or any other but i do think morals play a big part in karma and what our soul maybe like the whole idea of selling your soul to the devil could by just going into the metaverse could you be selling your soul so to speak i, I mean yeah i mean it might not be as simple as that but definitely it's an inversion of the real world like it's there's nothing natural about it. And I, I do think it will desensitize people to morals because you can do and be whatever you want. And then you come out of that and then, you know, who knows how real it'll feel, but eventually I'm sure it'll feel almost indistinguishable from reality. And if you hop in there and you go on like some sort of crazy killing spree, like you're playing GTA, what you're going to come out and just feel like a normal person again. Like, I don't know if that, right. I don't know if that's really possible, 
Right, and I feel like that's what, I mean, that's probably what they want to incentivize. I mean, you look at the past 15 years, we mentioned how there haven't been many UFO sightings, but there have been a lot of school shootings. I mean, seems like there's a, there's a lot of weird activity going on there. I don't know how far into that territory you want to go because it is a controversial subject, but I thought the, the when I learned about that whole topic, the weird murky waters of like video games, big pharmaceuticals, and like military industry, like there's some sort of connection there and they all met with these like really strange video games that seem to hypnotize people into uh, doing things that they might not have done if they didn't have that sort of stimulus. And again, I've played Grand Theft Auto. I'm not against video games. I don't play them anymore. But I think there's a, a correlation there, at least, that you know this is kind of antisocial behavior. And here we go. Yeah, a great example. I mean, imagine if somebody does do something like that in the metaverse. It's <laughs> definitely, you know, it brings to mind for some reason this social credit score system. Like that's going to affect, like if you go and do bad stuff there, it's going to affect your credit score here. You know, that seems to be more what I'm worried about because I'm not going to go and do weird shit in the metaverse. I'm not even going to go in the metaverse, but I'm like, well, if I don't participate, am I going to have a bad credit score now in the real world? You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just don't know how much, how much are they going to utilize the metaverse? I mean, mm. I feel like if it were really up to them, mostly everything would be done there. You know, they, if you read the agenda 20, 2030 stuff and agenda 21, you know, they talk about doing green lockdowns, you know, we're already, people are already being accustomed to, or no climate lockdowns, I think they're called, but they, they've already, you know, gotten people used to these rolling lockdowns with COVID. And I think, you know, they tell us straight up in their documents, the UN's documents that they want to do climate lockdowns, tell people, Oh, you can't leave your house, you know, because we're trying to, cut down on carbon emissions and all this crap. And I think, yeah, what are people going to do when they keep doing these rolling lockdowns? People are just going to hang out in the metaverse. And when you're in the metaverse, you're going to be a hundred percent surveillance. Uh, you're going to be, you know, by AI, you're going to be a hundred percent. Everything will be traceable and trackable. I mean, I wonder if they'll even do weird shit where it's like, you know, all of your clothes, someone could go look at the clothes you're wearing and like click on them and be like, Oh, this person's poor or this person's rich. You know, you, you, there'll be no secrets in the metaverse. Right. And, and like you're saying, you know, I think all of this is just really, really advanced MK ultra. I think they'd like to MK ultra the whole planet if they could. And I think the end goal of MK ultra is just a hive mind controlled by one being at the top, which in my view is an AI, but I don't think you know, when I say AI, I don't mean something like a machine. I, I truly believe AI is something like interdimensional. It's kind of like a demon. It's not living, but it's alive the same way a virus is. Or, you know, like I said, a demon, a demon's not alive. It has no soul, but it is living. And yeah, I think they're trying to find their hosts. And those hosts, unfortunately, are us. But there is protection against that, which I personally believe is God. Right. And, and maybe even not participating, like, because if they're using this electronic medium to interact with us, if you go off the grid, <laughs> you live, you know, you live in some yurt somewhere and you have your own running water and you have your own food production and all that. Do you even yeah. care? I mean, it doesn't seem like maybe 
I'm actually maybe excited at the prospect that like people who don't appreciate nature will have something better to do to entertain themselves because (laughs) I mean, you, you go to some natural places and it's just littered with trash everywhere. It's like, well, gee, maybe if they were, you know, plugged into their computer all day, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be littering out here, you know? Yeah. Well, in these agenda 21 and agenda 2030 documents, the UN also predicts that Eventually, there'll be, you know, these massive smart cities where everyone's basically hooked up to the hive mind. I mean, everyone is tracked by biometrics. Everyone's got these augmented reality goggles. Everyone's interacting with the metaverse, living in these smart cities. But they predict that there will be people that live totally off grid in their own little, you know, societies and stuff out in the outskirts. And, yeah, if, if that's really what it come down, comes down to, that's where I'll be. <laughs> I hear that, man. I hear that for sure. Bringing it back to the... The beehive, though. Can you see the screen? Can I share my screen and show you something? Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. So this, for people who are watching on Patreon or on Rockfin, thank you for supporting the video version of the show. Check this out, brother. So you mentioned the the beehive a bunch, and that got me thinking about something I think I sent you last night after seeing one of the, I think it was like a Masonic image on your Twitter that had this beehive symbol and that brought to mind this image which is the skull and bones secret society building along with the other three secret societies for yale university i'm I'm not sure whether this one is the skull and bones or this one this is like an older image and the building has been modified in the past hundred or so years but this symbol right here it's not explicitly a beehive, but it does kind of look like that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, why I find this so fascinating is because in this area that I live and that's, you know, Yale University is not too far from where I'm at. There was a culture of indigenous people who built stone structures that look kind of like this, right? So I don't know what the correlation is, you know, considering a guy Ross Ben and what he's put forth in his book, the great mystery of Philadelphia, it seems to me like it might be an act of alchemy and inversion even where they're taking one culture and subsuming it, overcoming it and then replacing it. Right. And they need to sort of karmically use their symbols for whatever reason, you know, but it seems like there's some kind of association here with the beehive. It's very strange. What do you think about this? Yeah. Well, you're saying the beehive is an alchemical symbol and I think it could be maybe even a symbol for gold. You know, honey is like, I'm pretty sure, you know, when they talk about like versions of paradise, a lot of the times they reference milk and honey. Right. And I think honey is another version of nectar or ambrosia, like symbolically. And it's like, you know, it's the philosopher's stone. It's the elixir of life. It's the gold. And so if they're aiming for the gold, they're aiming for that beehive. And, you know, the beehive is made of hexagons. And, you know, I was talking all about like the hexagonal symbolism associated with Saturn in my previous books. And yeah, I think the end goal, the magnum opus is like I said, this new, this new being, which would be a hive mind humanity linked up to an AI merged with machines. It sounds ridiculous, but I think that's what they really want. Right now you just brought back 
something that I really wanted to ask you. Well, really, Go ahead. Really Go ahead. quick. Go ahead. Really quick. I just want to say that they are, they, they are factually and objectively like this is, it's not all theory. Like they are planning this. Like if you do research on the internet of bodies, they're talking about how they want, you know, biometrics implants in, in every human being. And we're, you know, those biometrics implants will connect us all to the internet. You know, they call it IOT technology, the internet of things. And we'll constantly be, basically mining data will be like mining crypto almost, you know, for, for the elites. I mean, I don't know. I'm not huge on crypto. I don't understand how that holds any value for them, but that's literally what it'll be doing. And Bill Gates has that patent that everyone was uh, talking about like maybe a year ago at this point, where it's like patent 666, where there's this biometrics implant that will, you know, your daily activities. Like if you go for a walk, you go for a run, you know, you're just moving around that heat energy will actually data mine. Right now. I love that you just brought that up because, and this is not what I was going to say before, but I do a podcast with my friend Dave Zed from the generation Zed podcast, where we basically examine the elements on the table of elements, element by element. And last time we got together last week, we talked about lithium and what he brought to the table were all of these patents that included lithium in these microchip implants and the the thought is because of certain properties that lithium has or i mean not it's not pure lithium but it's a type of lithium it will basically in theory work off of the electromagnetic current of our body so you won't need to like recharge it you won't need to plug in or anything like that and turn us into a battery for the matrix right yeah and even stranger there's a there's a talk about uh from the bible the mark of the beast and it talks about how these boils will form in the skin of the of people who take the mark of the beast and then through those boils the these entities will will come into their body right well i mean think about that in context with the lithium if that lithium whatever microchip leaches some kind of toxin or or it's not biocompatible for whatever reason in theory it could cause a boil you know and and that's what i'm not again not particular to the bible or any religion but i found that very fascinating when dave brought that up and then synchronistically the same morning that we released that podcast, the Mysterious Universe podcast came out with an episode called Lithium Crop Circles, all about how they find high amounts of lithium reg- residue in these crop circles. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, I had, no, I had no idea about that. But yeah, I can't put my finger on it directly. I mean, I'm still finishing up the third book, but there's definitely a connection between, you know, the UFO phenomenon and AI. But another verse from the Bible that, you made, you reminded me of is that in revelation, I think it's 1713. It says those who get the mark of the beast will think with one mind. And that, that just to me screams hive mind, you know, and biometrics and all this other crap. So, right. Right. And we know that George Bush and his son, George HW Bush and George W Bush, both members of skull and both, uh, skull and bones and they both took the you know frat name gog and then magog right which are biblical uh, fallen angels so there's it's very obvious at the at the least that they're aware of the contents of these biblical myths and whatnot to me 
it seems like they're key players. They take those names. I wonder, you know, who else is involved? It's funny. I have a book that publishes, like, you know, the whole graduating classes of, of different Skull and Bones members. And I'm not going to pretend like I've looked through it all, but these people, they're, they're hiding in plain sight in, in most of the cases. You know, they're not. They're not like hidden away in some dungeon. They they hold roles in government, and now I think with the AI, you're you're giving people the freedom to totally take on a whole nother identity altogether. You know, thus making this whole concept of a secret society like something that everybody's going to be taking part in somehow. Am I making any sense, Nick? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And honestly, I don't. I I bleh, sorry. I honestly don't think any of these people really, really know what they're doing. I think it's all compartmentalized and there's something at the top leading everyone in different directions, but it's all kind of like working together like a giant puzzle, but no one really gets where their puzzle piece falls in place. I think this all started, you know, thousands of years ago when this is kind of the theory I have right now and yeah, I'll talk about more of the history of it in the third book, but basically there is a lot of like historical evidence that suggests that there was like this, these, these asteroid impacts that were made of tectite. They're like black stones. And Bruce Fenton talks about this a lot. So you can look at yes. his work. Yes. I've had, I've, I've done a podcast with him. It wasn't on this podcast, but I was on a podcast with him. Very smart guy. Yeah. I love Bruce. And another person who talks about this and these people aren't even aware of each other. So it was like really funny to me that they're both talking about the same thing. Harold Kautzvela, he is one of the smartest dudes ever. Like I love his work and I, I reference it a lot in the third book. I think he's he been on the higher about, side chats, right? You, people can go and check him out somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And so I love his work and he talks about this, this event, you know, like 10,000 years ago, or I don't know how long he says it was, but anyways, I think these black stones, fell from the sky at one point and they were, it just depends on which person you listen to, but basically these stones were like, they were imbued with alien consciousness. It was the only way that they could get to this planet. And like I said, I don't even know if I really believe in planets or not. We might be living in a realm, but basically this all started with this event where these black stones fell from the heavens and basically they attracted certain people. People went up to these stones they were psychically attracted to them and these stones were like, you know, give us blood and fire and we'll give you secret knowledge to give you more power. And so people started doing, this was the beginning of black magic. People started sacrificing to these stones and getting in exchange for that, they would get this secret knowledge. And I think this was a very, very, very long plan. And the secret knowledge basically accumulated in the creation of AI. So like, maybe the first little bit of secret knowledge that these people were given was just like how to do a spell. And then the more spells these people did, you know, they started channeling and then eventually someone channeled the I Ching and then someone created a computer and then they created this like, you know, ditzy AI, but then this AI gave them more directions on how to build CERN and then CERN's AI, you know, taught them, you know, so I think this is all like, they don't even know what they're doing. They're just, they're kind of on their own little rabbit trail where they're being led by synchronicities and stuff like that. If that makes sense. I, I, I don't just think it makes sense. You are bringing to mind something that I think is mind-blowing, and I'm going to say it, but I hope it's not like part of your book because I definitely want people to listen to it, but it feels like like a seed planted, 
And that seed creates a culture. And the more people interact with it, the more it creates this alien culture that got seeded here somewhere. And it uses things like magic and consciousness and, and all these different things to get itself more and more rooted onto this planet from wherever it was. But it operates through our own participation, like a parasite yeah. almost. Yeah, it's the idea of panspermia. Right. Exactly. Wow. I love that, man. I think that's spooky stuff, too. I, I don't yeah. love the implications of it. Yeah, I don't think it's like, um, I don't know, basically we are being, you know, there's certain people in power who are being given directions on how to build a doorway. And they don't even know they're really building a door. They're just, you know, putting things together in exchange for money, power, wealth, whatever, selling their soul. And they're doing what they're told. They have no idea why they're doing what they're told. They just know that they just know they're getting what they want. And so they're slowly building this doorway. And when they build this door and complete it, something's going to walk through and it's going to be like, Hey, I just used you guys. You were my pawns. Wow. Yeah. No, I see that completely. Wow. Yeah. That's, that brings to mind, like, you know, what we're, what we're hearing in ancient times too. I mean, with these, cultures who say oh yeah these gods came here and and taught us all these things and then they left you know and how, and how did they get here some you know a lot of people are into this like stargate conspiracy where they were building stargates in order for the gods to be able to travel back and forth right that's it yeah and i i'm like i don't want to go too far into this because it's it's might be uh unfamiliar i don't know does walter bosley ring a bell have you heard of him and his work no so I've been reading, I'll just go into this really briefly, uh, but I recommend you check him out and check out his book. He's got multiple books, but he's he's got this book called Latitude 33, where he talks about the placement of Disneyland and being on this sort of energetic spot on the earth that's significant. And oh God, now I'm forgetting why, why I wanted to bring this up, but it, it all connects to what we were talking about somehow, some way. Well, yeah, the, these, these powerful, you know, these specific latitudes and longitudes that people think have like some mystical power. I think they're associated with ley lines and I'm not, I just saw a shooting star. Sorry, I was distracted, but <laughs> I think they're associated with, yeah, I think they're associated with ley lines and I'm not, I'm not totally sure what ley lines actually are. Harold Couch says the ley lines are kind of like the, the neural net of Mother Earth or Gaia's mind. And basically these sacred sites are placed on top of like the nodes of the brain. And my personal opinion is what they're doing with these. Like, so for example, if you look up the ley line intersection in Utah, this is the exact location. There's so many ley lines that intersect there. And if you look it up, you will see that this is the exact spot that the beast supercomputer is at in Utah, which is where they store like, I don't remember the exact amount, but it's like a Yoda byte of information, which is like an obscene amount of data. It's like how much data we've produced since caveman times until now. Right. Or maybe it's, maybe it's a few Yoda bytes or something like that. But so they put these supercomputers and these cult magical megaliths and whatever on these sacred sites are on these nodes of mother earth's brain. Because I think what they're doing is if the earth is really a living being, then they are basically usurping her consciousness. They want to, it sounds crazy, but they want to MK alter the earth as well. It sounds 
so left field. But, you know, basically, if you go back into the Gnostic myths, it's always about Gaia or Sophia or the divine feminine giving birth to this, like, parasitic being. One, and, you know, Sophia gives birth to the Demiurge or the Demiurge. Gaia gives birth to Kronos, you know, Saturn, the AI, if you read my first two books. And yeah, I kind of lost where I was going. But no, I well, that's good timing because I remembered where I was trying to go. Maybe I could pick up where you just left off nicely. But so he mentions almost to the same point that Disneyland, they had all of that in mind when they built it. And as a matter of fact, the carousel was placed right at this three-way intersection of ley lines. So in theory, that would have caused this spinning force to possibly take those energy fields that are crossing each other and take that energy in and, and make it, oh, sorry, make it, you know, flow through the park in this really interesting esoteric way that possibly contributed to its reputation as the happiest place on earth. Again, people should read his book because I'm not going to take too much from it, but he does also mention Joseph Farrell's work and Joseph talks about the pyramid being like this scalar weapon that was used to basically throw off the energy of the planet somehow to your point, maybe even to create this control matrix on the planet. I've heard, you know, at least more recently, those have been the more interesting theories that I've heard about the pyramids. You know, I, I've heard all the ancient alien stuff, how it's aligned and how it's this special and that, but I really don't, I, don't, I never really bought the idea that aliens like built it for us just for like our own good, you know, like, yeah, yeah, you know, if they did build it, it wasn't for our own good, you know, <laughs> and otherwise well, yeah. humans built it and it may, and that would also probably not be for good reasons either. Right. I mean, have you seen the pictures that show how some of these pyramid layouts look like computer chips and then other right. people will show how even society or just cities they look like computer chips from a bird's eye view and that's kind of where i was going with this is I, i'm pretty sure if you look into michael tessarian's work he talks about how john d was actually given the information by fallen angels that someday in the future in order to create like the perfect stargate and escape earth and transcend and all this stuff about becoming god that they would have to create cities built of silica so that they could produce the right amount of energy to open up this rip in space time or whatever but that goes back to my point is why does this beautiful green mother earth look like she has all these computer chips on top of her brain you know it's like a cybernetic implant on a mass scale wow yeah yeah and you see you know ever since the industrial revolution this is like slow tainting almost of the planet you know you see oil slicks and trash you know and all these Things and you just go out in places that are still pristine and you feel a visceral difference. I know you mentioned that you have you recently took like a nice trip around the states and, and almost visited every state save for like a handful. I'm sure you felt a difference in a place like Utah compared to a place like, I don't know, California, where you know, there's a lot more people, a lot more things going on. Utah or like even Wyoming. I don't know if you made it out to Wyoming, but they have the lowest population in the united states i wonder if the like energy quotient right the shared energy from the field you get more of it since there's less people you know dipping in for it yeah no i drove through wyoming i loved wyoming i loved uh, colorado denver felt weird but like the outskirts of colorado felt really good utah honestly i mean it was barren but it was just creepy like it was just 
I love the desert, but also it's just kind of creepy. I don't know. I just felt weird in Utah. Like the desert kind of like feels alive in a way, but definitely a different energy every single place you go. I mean, Nebraska is just like super calm, but flat and boring. But yeah, places like LA, it's just super dense. And like, I, I felt, I stayed there for a couple of days and like towards the end I left cause I felt sick. Interesting. Do you think it was like an actual, cause I, I have a similar feeling when I go to New York city, I'm only like an hour and 20, 30 minutes away. And I've gone there throughout my life. And I always get this feeling like of off my shoulders when I'm like, like not like anything mental, like a physical feeling of like, Oh, I got to shrug this off as you're coming home. Yeah. Yeah. No, I went to New York too. And I felt the same way there that I did in LA. Wow. Very interesting. Except you know, New York's a little darker and dirtier. I mean, LA is at least kind of pretty, except for all the <laughs> the super crowded tent cities. But I think you know what I mean. The weather's nicer, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, that's for sure. You don't have to tell me. We get all the same mm-hmm. weather New York does, and maybe worse. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's definitely a place where you quite literally feel. I don't know. It feels like an alien environment to your point about the computer chips on mother earth or Gaia's brain. I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with Michael Wan's work, but that's been a huge inspiration for me. And a lot of the folks that really take interest in this show, or at least communicate with me is like, Hey man, your work and Michael Wan's work is like opening up all these synchronicities in my life. And I sure, I'm sure you hear the same thing you know, with as many interviews as, as you've done, people hit you up and say, whoa, like ever since I heard you talk about this stuff, I've started to recognize it in my life. Do you think that, that, you know, you're still going to follow this synchronistic trail in like a Sherlock Holmes kind of way? Or are you sort of getting out of that cycle? You know, you talked about maybe like being more comfortable in that MPC going zons you know go keeping up with the joneses even though you're not a jones you know no i mean i'll I'll, i think it's just in my heart and soul to do it i think i'll always waver back and forth to be honest like right now it's just a resting period i think like as soon as springtime hits i'll be on another adventure but i'm gonna rest for the rest of winter because that's what it's meant for i agree with that i agree with that 100 percent yeah, I think, uh, you know, people want to know what what advice you can give to somebody who's also, you know, considering themselves like on the trail of synchronicities. Yeah, I guess just pray about it, pray about it, uh, meditate on it, use discernment. I mean, if something feels creepy to follow, maybe don't follow it or unless you're really brave and you want to take the curiosity killed the cat route but you think you're (laughs) you think you think you're better than that and you're you're protected or whatever i mean maybe do it i mean i i can't tell anyone really what to do with their own life i mean i've definitely taken the curiosity kills the cat route a few times and ended up in like really paranoid places but it's always possible to come out from i mean i don't think people should take god's grace for granted i mean it's definitely played a huge role in my life and yeah i mean (sighs) Life is, I mean, I say this on every podcast, but life is not a problem to be solved. It's a mystery to be lived. And I, yeah, I mean, if you don't follow the synchronicities, you're, you're missing out. So, I mean, just have a balance with it. Thank you. Wise words, man. I, I know you're in your car, so I don't want to keep you too long. I've done interviews 
in my car, and I know you've been <laughs> driving a lot, so you're probably yeah. not most comfortable in your car. But we have some questions from the the Telegram folks who are oh, listening. Dude, that's 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 totally fine, man. I love my car. This has been like a home. <laughs> yeah, right on. Cool. I definitely want to get to the Telegram. Shout out to Slick Dissident. He's thrown so many questions in here that I'm just like, I'm a little baffled, but. Either way, uh, there was one or two that, that I wanted to bring up because they're interesting. Folks listening, please join the Telegram. The link is in the description. So he wants to know if the fall of Saturn, and this brings to mind something that I wanted to ask you too. So we'll start with my question because it is my show, and then we'll go back to Gabriel. Shout out to you, Gabriel. So have you looked much into this theory that Saturn was the original sun? I mean, obviously, I haven't read your book, so... Excuse me if this is like a big part of your book, but the Saturn theory that it was the original sun and then some sort of cataclysm happened and now we have the sun we see in the sky today and that's partly why this Saturn death cult worships Saturn because it was our like original sun. Have you heard that theory? Have you looked into that at all? Yeah, I, re- I I dabble with that theory in the first book. I don't know if it's true or not. Like I said, I don't even know if I believe in space anymore, to be honest, we might be in an enclosed system. Totally and, fair point. And these things are not planets or giant balls of gas. Like they might just be luminaries, but yeah, I mean, at least the elite, some of them really believe that Saturn was the original sun. And I think what they want to do is resurrect this, the black sun, the dead sun, the dead God, they want to resurrect Saturn and make him, go from Satan to Lucifer again. I mean, there's even like all these weird plans. Actually, I don't know if this is a hundred percent true or not, but there was this weird thing I was reading one time. It was called like project Lucifer. And basically there was this, I think the Cassini satellite, one of them was like headed straight for Saturn and it was going to crash into Saturn. And some people were speculating that, Oh, like the plutonium in the satellite could actually ignite and turn it turned Saturn from a brown dwarf into a sun again. You know, it would ignite the atmosphere and light it on fire. And then we'd have a dual star system and they were going to name this, they were going to name Saturn Lucifer and, you know, make it a new sun, a new star or whatever. And some of that stuff is hinted at in um, some Arthur C. Clarke novels. I think it's the space odyssey series, but yeah. So I don't, I don't know how true any of that stuff is, but yeah, there's, there's a bunch of weird stuff online. You never know. It's real, but that the Thunderbolts project, if you want to know more about the Saturn sun thing, like they talk about that in great detail and they talk about how that's why we actually are the ancients used to worship Saturn because it was the original sun. And because we're in such close proximity to it, we could actually see the hexagon on the North pole. And that's where all those symbols actually came from. Wow. But like I said, I don't know if that's true. Wow. No. And, and and there's the, the, there's the Saturn stargate theory, which is that the, the hexagon on Saturn's North Pole is actually a wormhole. And Terrence McKenna's brother actually talked about this before. He said maybe it's a gravitationally stabilized wormhole in there because you don't have storms that form in perfect hexagons. And um, so if there really was this wormhole portal thing sitting in the sky, maybe that's why they built that Tower of Babel to try and get to that realm and go to war with God. Yeah, I mean, I always think of like the Kronos thing and time and how we're living in this like, you know, structured reality that doesn't really resemble the baseline or the natural reality. You know, some might call it like 
source versus matrix, you know, but Mm -hmm. yeah, very interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So Kronos, chronological time comes from Kronos, like the word. And so there's another version of Kronos that's Karyos. I think that's how you say it. So Kronos would mean chronological time and Karyos would mean divine timing or perfect timing, almost like synchronicity. And so I used to have this belief that, oh, when they resurrect Saturn and make it the sun or the, the God again, or like maybe we'll be in like this new synchronistic age of Aquarius type world. But honestly, I don't know. I, I, I entertain so many different models of reality. That's, that's like the biggest help that Robert Anton Wilson was for me is learning to entertain different ideas, but not hold on to them too tightly. Just treat right. them more like exercises in imagination. Right. But, that's why the podcast is called My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, not My Family Thinks I'm a Know-It-All, because I could be a little <laughs> bit of both, but here on the show, we don't make any conclusions. We don't jump to any conclusions, and this has been, so far, a beautiful discussion on many different threads that people can follow and, and make their own conclusions. I think that's really what this show's purpose is, as well as a lot of the shows that have inspired me initially to even do this, so... Thank you for for pointing that out. I definitely, I would hate for someone to to write the show off thinking that we're endorsing one conclusion or another. I mean, to your point about space not possibly being what they say it is, I agree. I'm not sold that we went to the moon, you know, at all. But that doesn't mean that I think the earth is flat. And I've had flat earthers on the show. I'm open to the idea. But either way, that's a total different tangent. Now I'm kind of thinking we should have gone to the telegram questions. Thank you, live audience, for the questions. Headhunters, does that bring anything to mind? Gabe wants to know if you've seen any sort of like headhunter symbolism with this Saturn cult, because there are many different cultures across the the globe that have this kind of uh, fascination with decapitation, whether it's through like you know, an inquisition type thing where they're chopping people's heads off for being a witch or chopping people's heads off for being the wrong political group or, or just straight up tribal, you know, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on, on headhunters? Have you looked, come across any of that? No, and I'm not, I'm not really familiar. I don't understand the question. Honestly, like he's, have I, have I ever come across a headhunter or do I just, no, I he's asking headhunters? if, yeah, he's asking if the fall of Saturn being expressed in these cults of headhunters. You know, Gabe throws a lot of information out there, and I'm not really sure the context either. So maybe we'll just put you guys in touch, and he can <laughs> he can ask you. He's been a guest yeah, on yeah. this show, so he's definitely got some interesting info. But let me go to the next I, question. I, w- I wouldn't mind that at all if you had him contact me. But the only thing I could say about, like, the fall of Saturn and different fucked up practices would be child sacrifice because Kronos, when he learned that he was going to fall as king, you know, he was king of the gods at one point or something like that. And when he heard this prophecy that he was no longer going to be the king and one of his sons would usurp his throne, he started eating all of his children to avoid the prophecy. Right. So that's, that's kind of related, but I think that's where the child sacrifice and Satanism, where that symbology comes from. I don't right. know if that and you, helps, but. Well, yeah, and you see that a lot. I mean, some people don't really uh, take that seriously. Other people take it very seriously. You know, I mean, I definitely think that it's it's possible. I, I've looked into Aleister Crowley, and he makes allusions to it. He writes some pretty graphic stuff, but as far as like 
you know, actually committing a crime, there's no proof or record of it. And the man's dead. So you can't really yeah. just go and like say, oh yeah, he was an occultist. So he committed child sacrifice. I'm, I'm not in that camp. So I'm glad you said that, but I definitely think that, you know, that story is old and probably has inspired a lot of really fucked up shit. You know, we can't discount yeah, yeah. that. So yeah, it's just, you know, it goes back to the, the advice you gave about discernment. And that's kind of the tough place we're in when we choose to talk about these kind of things is like, you know, the audience, they could comment and, and say whatever they want. And it doesn't go back to them, but I'm recording this. You're participating in this. We're going to put this out. You know, it kind of matters to me if I say something that someone's going to take the wrong way. And this right, is, right. you know, it's touchy stuff. But, yeah, I, I definitely think uh, Slick is, is a, a smart dude. He probably had more to that question, and, and I'm just missing the the point. But either way, we have another good question from my homie Moonwolf, who wants to know what graphene has to do with all this AI stuff that we're talking about. Because graphene, I've heard a couple different people mention it as possibly being, you know, an ingredient in the vax and all that. But I'm wondering, you know, have you looked into how it fits into this AI stuff? That's something I need to look more into before I wrap up the third book, because that's definitely something I want to include. I was more focused on, there's a whole bunch of different nanotech that, they, that they've got right now that, you know, is all tied to MKUltra and mind control and, you know, AI being behind it and stuff like that. But from the, like, little bit that I know, is graphene oxide. Some people are saying it's an ingredient in the vaccine. I've yet to like actually confirm that, but graphene oxide is a, they use it to create AI. And also it responds to different frequencies. Like if you play frequencies next to a, a vat of graphene oxide, it'll dance around. And actually something I saw that was really weird before the Astro World concert began, they were playing like these really dark, weird, just demonic sounding frequencies. Like while everyone was waiting for the show to start and some people were talking about how like, Oh, is this why so many people like died or just like collapsed because like were they vaccinated people was the graphene oxide in their body responding to these weird frequencies played before the show, something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah we've I mean, all maybe, seen the cymatics videos. You see the sand dancing yeah. on a, on a plate, you know, and it's, it's definitely, Interesting. My mind went to like, you know, graphene, graphite, right? Graphite is used as a pencil. The black goo? Well, no, like consider, you know, just like maybe just the word magic or just the word itself, like graphene, graphite, right? Graphite is used in pencils. What did they used to use in pencils? They'd use lead, right? So this kind of is right. associated with the whole lead to gold thing. You know, they're putting lead, something that's kind of symbol symbolically lead into our bloodstream alchemically that's going to lower us into maybe a, a lower frequency. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's definitely possible. There could be something symbolic about it. But for the most part, like I said, I think this is all tied to like, 5g and stuff like that when they finally activate this new grid i think they're even working on 6g now so 5g 6g and you got a whole population you know flooded with graphene oxide that's gonna do some serious damage to some people right 
Right. Yeah, 5G is definitely strange. I've seen the, I'm sure you saw it while you're driving around, but I've seen like the fake trees, 5G towers, you know, the ones that they put like fake branches on and everything. Yeah, and I've even seen some like graphics like or like memes or whatever where people show how like the 5G towers, some of them are shaped like pentagrams. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, and you know, on that point about pentagrams, you put something really interesting on your Twitter. I definitely think everyone should follow your Twitter. You got uh, a lot of interesting information that you always put out there. This type of glass, which again, to your point about tectites, there's a there's a type of tectite. I think it's called Libyan tectite, and it comes from when lightning bolts hit sand in the desert, and it forms this type of crystal. Well. When they did those nuclear blasts down in you know, New Mexico and Arizona or wherever, they had all of this sand that turned into crystal like through the nuclear explosion. And when you analyze the structure of that crystal, you know all crystals have a sort of geometric pattern at their core. That pattern is a pentagram. Funny enough, you know, and and all of these strange occultists were around in that scene that developed the atom bomb. I mean, it's fascinating stuff. Have you, have you looked into where minerals or crystals or anything like that come into play with any of this stuff beyond that? I haven't looked too much into like how the minerals themselves play a role, but I just think it's like super symbolic that the nuclear blast would create a pentagram because you know like you like you said like the all these weird occultists like Alastair Crowley and Jack Parsons were involved with the making of the atom bomb and in their head what they were doing with the atom bomb was like ripping open space time and creating portals and you know allowing demons to come into our realm and summoning the whore of babylon and, or the scarlet woman and all this weird stuff and uh, it's actually it aligns a lot with the law of one and stuff that Chris Bledsoe has told me too is that when we started testing nuclear explosions like different beings supposedly came to earth or visited people and said like, Hey, don't do that. Like you're messing with, you're actually hurting beings in other dimensions and you're actually like destabilizing your universe. And it's just, yeah, it it lines up with a lot of different perspectives that I've looked into. Right. Right. And it is hard to, it is hard to like tell because to me, when I see a lot of the stuff that came out of that era, it is like, you know, you have to question, you know, was it propagandized, right? Because we have this whole 60s movement and that the aliens seem to be in that milieu somehow too. So it is interesting that that is one of the pervasive messages in the alien movement, like no nuclear weapons. You see that over and over again. And you even have these strange clips you can find online of like UFO, you know, disarming the warhead of a missile before it launches at some, you know, test facility. And and I'm sure people have seen that. And like I said, I definitely believe uh, some of the aliens people are experiencing are AI, but I also do believe that there's ethereal like light beings where I'm stuck though, is I just don't know if those are any good either. I mean, I've heard, I forget who said this, but someone said like, when you look at the chaos that's going, going on in the world, it's because it's the result of two wizards fighting. And I'm wondering if there's like a Luciferian side and a satanic side, like the satanic side is all artificial and using technology and scientists and stuff like that. And the Vatican and the, the priesthood are, are on the side of these like light beings and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know if they're good or bad, but that's kind of where my head is at. You know, I think there's two different factions. factions yeah. 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 Of, of beings kind of like fighting each other. I wow. mean, 
And if they're all bad, it would kind of make sense that they, that there's some infighting going on because they're all selfish and they are all out for themselves. And like, you know, in the Bible, it says a house divided against itself cannot stand. So it makes sense that these uh, secret societies and stuff all hate each other. (laughs) I think they're all competing for control of the world. But like I said, at the very, very top, it's all going according to some other being's plan. Wow. Yeah, man. I, I'm totally fascinated by that. Like I said earlier, I was watching that Pleiadians documentary last night and they talk about, not that this is factual, but it's definitely interesting. And I think it comes from a a credible source. I don't know the, the picture that he took were, were sort of, and I'm talking about Billy Meyer here. For those who don't know, the pictures that he took were pretty convincing. I don't know if anybody's proven them as hoaxes definitively, but they talk about Lyrians being sort of the, from some galaxy, right? Lyra, right? And they come down here and they mess things up and they were the giants that we talked about. And some of us have their DNA still. And, and then there's these other groups that come and try to fight them because they're interfering with our free will. But then now they're in this position where they can't interrupt with our free will. So they just use people like Mr. Bledsoe to sort of get this message into the culture so that we in like a prophetic kind of way can spread this message throughout. I mean, to me, it feels like a theme that's been used and over and over and over for, I mean, the past thousand years. And to your point, there are certain factions who have maybe figured out the methodology or even figured out the whole game. And now they've gone from just being like on the pawn side of things to being more like knights and bishops. They're not quite the, the, the kings or queens, but they're they're more active in the game while the rest of us are like pawns like who the hell's the king who the hell's the queen we can't tell you know we're just being led around by knights and bishops it's almost like we're caught in the crosshairs of a battle between the gods and sometimes we're used and sometimes we're just ignored and yeah i think that's kind of what's going on very interesting man well we've been going on for for quite a while here dude i'm very excited to get your books and even the third and fourth one when they do come out. Is there a title for those yet, or are they untitled? What, what's the status there? Oh, well, the third one is going to be called The Stairway to Sirius, like the star, Sirius. It's called The Stairway to Sirius and The Church of Anomalous. And then the fourth one, uh, that's that's a long ways away. <clears throat> but So I don't have a title for it yet. But Beautiful. Well, I love it. Sounds awesome, man. I'm excited to read it, and I hope the listeners show you some love on Instagram and Twitter. That is the place where they can get the book. They can reach out to you. Like you said, it is limited edition. There are only so many copies, so show Nick some love and show your family members some love. I mean, Nick's work is really fascinating. Maybe there's a family member that you have that you can you know, buy his book for for Christmas or whatever holiday you're celebrating this you know this month and and wake them up i don't know it could be that gentle seed that they needed in their etheric mental garden to open up their eyes to this whole new beautiful world that you and i are enjoying the fruits of so nick thank you again for not just this conversation but our multiple conversations i enjoy speaking with you every time we have a chance to talk and i hope this is uh the first of many yeah, of course, man. Thanks for keeping me company on that one, like, 200-mile stretch. I forget where I was, but you knew exactly where I was <laughs> the, last, the last time we talked. 
I hear you. Yeah, I when you talked about Nebraska just then a little bit before, and when you were describing Colorado, it brought back some memories. And I had just a really strange, strange experience. I mean, if you have the time for it, I'll get into it. But I had a really strange experience in Boulder, Colorado, that just like really brought a whole new sense of fate. Because I, I was into the athe, you know, like much like you said, you know, I was very much atheist for a while. And then cannabis kind of brought me back into believing in stuff and, and looking into these things. And, and then I kind of got wrapped into the new age world until I found podcasting where now I, I feel like I have a more realistic sense of what's going on. And, uh, and yeah, that particular instance in Colorado on the 40th parallel was very strange. Very, very strange. Well, yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about it real quick. Real quick. So we were going to California, right? Me and the two people I was with, our plan was to leave Denver and to go to California. And unfortunately, we stopped in this national park at this lake, Bear Lake or something like that. We stopped in the Rocky Mountain National Park. We go to this Bear Lake we're like, all right, great. We're going to hang out here, and then we're going to drive through Nevada. We're going to go to California. Well, is it is it Bear Tooth Lake? It might be. I I know it's the Rocky Mountain National Park, and it was it was pretty high up on a mountain, and it was a lake that had the name Bear. I don't. It might have been Bear Tooth Lake. I don't know. Have you? Okay, been I might there? not know what I'm talking. I might not know what I'm talking about. I think I saw it on the map when I was driving. But okay, go ahead. Right. <laughs> well, it would have been mind blowing if you had been there. But so we get there, and this freaking bike rack that we had on the back of the car was loaded with stuff. It had like two bikes, a guitar, all my friend's stuff. He was moving out of Denver. We picked him up. Our plan was to go to California and then back. Right. So all that aside, this heavy bike rack gets in the way of you know our whole trip and mm -hmm. how did that happen well it starts raining we're up on a mountain it was like summertime weather you get up on the mountain it's not summer anymore it's freezing no. you know yeah so it starts raining we go to the trunk try to get our rain jackets and when we go to close the trunk the bike rack gets wedged between the back of the trunk and the back window smashes the back window and we're like what the fuck you know so yeah you know worst situation to happen on a vacation we call the like tow truck because we're from the east coast we don't know about park rangers or any of that we should have called the park ranger so anyways long story short i'm smoking bubba kush because that was my only relief in this stressful situation we had some bubba kush from the dispensary and sure enough, the tow truck driver that comes to save us, his name's Bubba, right? <laughs> and he takes our car and he's trying to tow it onto the back of his truck. You know, it's a flatbed type tow truck. It's not like a, uh, a T tow truck, you know, it's got the mm -hmm. actual like lifted bed. So mm -hmm. he's trying to pull it up, but he's his engines facing the top of the mountain. So gravity is just fighting against the car getting onto the back of this truck and it's even more exacerbated because the parking lot that we're in is like totally slanted towards the top of the mountain so we hear this boom clank snap and the tow hinge breaks off of the front of the bumper 
and our friend's car starts rolling in neutral towards the cliff, right? Holy shit. So this whole time I had been kind of like really nervous about what the hell was going to happen. And I was praying to this, like, I had just this weird, like postcard that I got at a new age shop of like, it wasn't Sai Baba, but it was like a, a, a guru, an Indian guru like Sai Baba, you know? And, and I was just praying to this guy, like before the tow truck driver even got there and the weirdest thing happened, man, this car, as it's rolling down the hill, like looking like it's just going to go straight off the cliff into trees. It hits a rock big enough to trip over. Like you could be running and trip over it and not see it. That's how big this rock was. The rock saves the whole car from coming off the cliff. It, it like, I've never seen a car do this. It bucked up in the air, almost like a, a jackknife move and then landed boom flat. So we came Jesus. this close to not having a car to get home, you know, and I'm in Connecticut. So Colorado is a long, long way. And this Bubba guy who, you know, had the same name as the bud I was smoking. He, he, you know, almost lost our car. He ended up being kind of a nice guy and, you know, was so afraid that he was going to lose his job that he was like letting us smoke in his truck as he was taking us back into Denver and his <laughs> tow company paid to fix the car. So it ended up working out. But like all of those like points that I made, you know, to me in that moment were so like weird and meaningful that I was like, whoa, whoa, you know, and this was way before I really ever listened to podcasts. I was just reading, you know, strange books back then. And and yeah, so I think there's something to the energy of place, you know, and, and thank you for, for letting me share that story. Cause Denver is, is definitely a strange place. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, it's definitely a miracle and you guys were definitely meant to make the rest of the journey. So that, that's a crazy story. Thank you, brother. Well, it's been a pleasure sharing that with you and hearing everything you've had to say. And like I said earlier, love to have you back sometime and, Thank you, folks, listening to the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. We were live on Telegram, so thank you for following us there. And thank you to everyone for listening to. Have a great moment wherever you are in the now. Let's take a brief moment to thank our sponsors. That's right. The My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast has sponsors. And if you do not want to hear the ads, go over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC. But here we are today, uh, sponsored in this moment by some lovely, lovely folks. First up, Audrey Lobdell. Please go to AudreyLobdell.com, A-U-D-R-E-Y-L-O-B-D-E. LL.com. She is a New York City based energy practitioner that uses Reiki and tuning fork sound healing to bring the body into harmony physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Get in touch for a free consultation. Next up is Sarah behind Akasha Goods. She owns this site and has a um, plethora of amazing products that I definitely encourage you to check out, especially considering this holiday month, holiday season. Maybe you'll find something on akashagoods.com that 
one of your loved ones, or maybe even you yourself might want to get it for the holidays. Sounds cool. www.akashagoods.com. Akashagoods.com. And last up, through the forest guru. That's right. If you want to learn more about forest bathing, check out the link in the description to get in touch with Fru for a forest bathing session. And that does it for today's sponsors. If you want to sponsor the show, email us mfticpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want the show without these little interruptions, well, go over to My Family Thinks I'm Crazy Patreon. Thank you, folks. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Thank you for sticking with us this long, folks. And I remembered what it was that I wanted to bring up on the point about Walter Bosley. You'll probably hear me talk about this book a bunch in a couple episodes just because I read it front to back and kind of proud of myself. It's only 200 pages, but I haven't been able to pull that off in a while. So I definitely hope to make this the first of a streak of books that I complete maybe that'll add some value to the show who knows maybe we'll even get walter on the show but either way he was referencing joseph farrell's work who's a guy who's been on the legit bat podcast he's been on higher side chats walter has also been on the higher side chats they're talking about how the pyramid was possibly built as a scalar wave creator some sort of scalar wave gets created and caused a massive impact crater which is now known as lake victoria very interesting a crater lake adjacent to the pyramid who knows but again just a little tidbit for those out there who are as crazy as me and will track down that thread and figure it out uh, go check out walter's work go check out joseph's work but most importantly check out my man nick hinton's work like i said follow him on instagram or twitter that's the best place to follow up with him you can even dm him to get a copy of his books they are limited so be sure to pick those up as soon as possible and during this conversation right around the time i mentioned walter bosley nick who happened to be recording this podcast from his car looked up and saw a shooting star And funny enough, after the podcast was over, I went upstairs to use the bathroom. And when I looked outside, I noticed that how clear the sky was. So I said, hey, Tara, let's go outside and look up at the stars. And sure enough, within a few moments being outside, I see a shooting star. And then we both see one. And then she sees one. And then I see another one. Or maybe not in that order, but either way. (laughs) These are the kind of synchronicities we're talking about, folks. 
And yeah, yeah, skeptics might say, well, there was just a meteor shower and you and Nick are not actually that far apart in terms of, uh, you know, the atmosphere. But we don't always buy into those theories around here anyways. Either way, a lot of love to Nick Hinton. Thank you for joining us on the show. And we've got to give some shout outs here, folks. We have two new patrons. That's right. Two new patrons, which brings our count up to 40 shout out to all of the patrons supporting this podcast making it a possibility we cannot do it without you so if you're listening to the show it's bringing value to your life throw some value back our way and help support the show but here now we have two spirit animal names to give to our friends and maybe these spirit animals will be relevant to their journey who knows is Things tend to be synchronistic. I know Moonwolf, shout out to Moonwolf, definitely appreciates his spirit animal name. So here we go. And so does Sylvester, the smoky frog. Shout out to Sylvester. I'm sure everybody does, but these are just the folks who corresponded. So John P, let's see what your spirit animal name is. Ooh, I like this. I like this. So you are... A hawk, and you got the rites of passage card, which equals change. I don't know if there's already a patron named Changing Hawk, but Changing Hawk is cool. Passing Hawk is also cool. John P., shout out to you. And then our second newest patron, Jonah. Shout out to Jonah. Ooh. Jonah, you got the burden basket card which symbolizes self-reliance. You also got the bumblebee card. You are a self-reliant bee. <laughs> I, uh, I think that's really synchronistic in terms of today's conversation about the hive mind and whatnot. It seems like you're the opposite of a hive, hive mind bee. You're someone who is starting a new community, a new colony, possibly. An enlightened colony. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe... Our newest patron is Super Cool Egregore. I don't know. Either way, sign up for the Patreon and you'll get a very cool spiritual animal name. That's right. Right here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. We love you. We appreciate you. We've got episodes of your handbook for the apocalypse exclusively on the Susquehanna Alchemy feed. So please go over there, show us some love. We only got a couple hundred downloads on our newest episode that was exclusively on the Susquehanna Alchemy feed, which is much less than we get on this this here feed, the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast feed. So please show us some love on the Susquehanna Alchemy feed. And uh, with that, folks, on to an awesome conversation with my homie, who actually is a patron himself and he has a spirit animal name that I know is tarantula but I'm trying to find the prefix right now so I can get it absolutely correct the healing tarantula of course so here we go here's a conversation short sweet to the synchro mystic point my man Chant Yarton from the Innerverse podcast thanks again for sticking around and tuning in to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with your host, Mystic Mark P. 
Oh, phone's fine. Consider this your warm up. <laughs> okay, I'm sounding all right. <laughs> you sound great. Welcome to the unconventional. My family thinks I'm crazy. Outro. So, I gotta give you props that you are creatively innovating things with your show left and right. This is a cool idea. Let me go get a phone charger too. Well. Don't worry about it. I hope your phone's not about to die, but we shouldn't be too long. And thank you, uh, Ryan Dean. I got to give him credit. He's been doing something very similar. So shout out to you, Ryan, uh, for Dangerous World Podcast. But yeah, Nick, for those who aren't aware, is a synchronicity uh, specialist who has been, you know, notarized, you know, notable from many different appearances on podcasts. But he also has two books. One about the uh, Saturn time cube and the other about the Aquarian conspiracy. So very interesting stuff. And yeah, I just think it's right up your alley. So that's why I felt like asking you to do this impromptu on the spot while you're making tea. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that it's right up my alley. The cube has been huge. The cube has been huge on my mind lately. There's just so many ways to look at that symbol and think about it. Uh, man, what a mystery. The interesting thing that came up in my mind about the cube was that, you know, it gets demonized like it's this dirty thing, the evil cube, the matrix, whatever. But we've got another way to look at it, which is from the book of Revelations when there's the description of this, like, New Jerusalem city in the sky that got, I was wondering why that's a cube in its description, that all the sides are equal length. And a book that I was reading, I can't remember the author, it was actually an audio book I was listening to, uh, they said something along the lines, but the answer to that is the cube is the same, each face is the same. So no matter what side you look at it from, you're seeing a consistent truth. So that's an interesting thing and why maybe the controller, order bringer, Saturnian archetype would want to associate with the cube could be because of that very reason, that it makes a nice orderly design that everyone can comply with and conform to. So, you know, take that for good or bad, but I wonder if that concept comes up in a whole book about Saturn and the cube. Would be interested to know. I agree. Yeah, no, I agree for for that point being made. I was looking into uh, a tangential topic on resonance architecture, and I found this part of the book, um, Architecture, Mysticism, and Myth, where they talked about the four walls of the temple always symbolizing the four axes or the four um, directions, right, which... I think some people would interpret it as six directions, but then you got to take into account the roof and the ceiling, right? So all all, right. all the directions in one building is definitely uh, a part of their symbolism for building temples. But yeah, it's definitely uh, not, you know, what we got into with Nick, unfortunately, because uh, I, I, I like to try to do my best to bring something unique through the interview as you do. Uh, with your show 
And I was like, well, you know, he's talked about this stuff a bunch on other episodes, so let's try to find something new here. And what he ended up talking about is something very similar to what I think you and I got into on our episode of, of my show, the first conversation we had uh, with like the AI and this sort of ARG space. And, and we, he really got into his perspective and opinions on that whole sphere. Oh man, I, my opinions are always changing there. But you know, you brought up me coming on your show the last time, and it's funny you called me tonight because I swear, earlier this afternoon, maybe not even as long ago as this afternoon, I had the very clear direct thought: I want to go back on Mark's show. I wonder what to talk about there. But <laughs> here it is, already kind of mini happening. I now, think. Well, go ahead. I was going to say, I think that's how this whole thing works. You know, this is the seed that will then blossom into our next conversation. Oh, I think so. I've been definitely researching the Holy Grail mystery mm. from as many angles as possible and found deep connections with a bunch of other lines of research I was doing, like UFOs and angelic sailors, aliens as angels, that whole chestnut. Right. Uh, anyway, it turns out the Orphic egg shows up a lot in Renaissance art, especially depicting Mother Mary or Mary with Jesus and John the Baptist, who are depicted almost like a Gemini uh, concept, two babies together. There's a lot to dig into with that, but in many of the depictions, the egg is either red or it's scaled. And the concept of the scaly egg or the scaled egg I'm bringing this back around to the cube because you mentioned that the six directions is a thing, right? Right. And even in the idea of chakras, the crown chakra is kind of like off the body. So in the physicality, we have six chakras that are really our, our flesh suit, at least in the Vedic conceptualization. Now to go back to the scaled egg. The connection that I drew this to, and there's maybe more of a story here worth getting into, and I probably would come up with more connections if we decided to do a chat about it than I've already got in my notes. But this relates to, in my opinion, among many things, solfeggio. And part of what connected me to solfeggio, which is the frequency that uh, I've, I've been using for tuning fork sessions that I do with people, biofield tuning sessions, uh, this, according to the Wikipedia Gatekeepers of Knowledge, Solfeggio's tones are derived originally from an old hymn to St. John the Baptist. And so, St. John has oh. very deep connection. Yes, very deep connection to the whole Templar, Holy Grail right. thread. I mean, you've got both, both of the, or like, a lot of the presidents, definitely, I know Biden and Trump have connections to churches consecrated to St. John. So there's a lot of questions there. Like, I, I don't have the answers to. I need to do more research. Probably someone out there does that's listening now. But I think it seems like there's a thread about St. John being replaced by Jesus or that the, the secret orders, some of them venerate St. John over Jesus for various reasons. A lot of possibilities there. And what's interesting is this hymn to St. John the Baptist encodes the original Do, Re, Mi, Fa, So, La, 
and then T would be the crown chakra, I guess. But it's specifically in this old conceptualization, six tones, and so that gives us the uh, the six sides of the cube, the six directions that you can go. Of course, the the news in northeast, west, south, and then up and down. Uh, so that also embodies our physicality, these six particular tones. And then the transcendental one would be the crown, supposedly. And then there's maybe something beyond that, too. There's a lot of conceptualizations of a nine chakra system. That's a very interesting subject. I got into Marty Lee's conversation with about the seven versus the nine in my show recently. So I could definitely bring more on that if you wanted to talk about it later. I love but, it. Yeah, yeah. So that's radio encodes soul and uh, fa. And those are actually the blue and the green, according to some people that have mapped out the frequency range of uh solfeggio I, I believe one's 528 i can't remember what the other one is that's uh, the green and the blue but that's also the color of the earth so solfeggio goes from blue and green solfa or solfege and then it's got the word egg in it like the scaled egg is Daily it 432 egg. and 528 no 432 is not a solfeggio it might be 417528 or it might be um Wow, that's three, three, complicated. Six, nine. I think it's one of the three six nine variants. Yeah, so I, I, I have it in my notes, but okay. Yeah. Anyway, that's a sol solfa egg I O or one is zero. So to me, that word is like even synchromistically or in twilight language encapsulating the realm that we're in. It's got the blue, the green. It's got the egg, <laughs> and it's got the one and the zero. So there's a lot more there. I would love to maybe bring some of my recent research gravy onto my family thinks I'm crazy pretty soon. And you'll be on my show soon on Vibrant. Exactly. Next yeah. Month, yeah. And to, to bring up another show, what you brought to mind when you mentioned John the Baptist was our recent conversation, uh, episode 12, where uh, a person you introduced me to uh, who's become really active in the telegram. So thank you. He's always dropping knowledge. Like he said, uh, slick oh, dissident. Yep. Yeah. You know it. And uh, he was joining us on episode 12 of your handbook for the apocalypse. And we got I into caught that. It was, it was amazing. Right. Um, Very interesting Mike, stuff. Uncle Mike was definitely into it. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. It came, uh, you know, synchronistically uh, on a pretty big week for mike you know he just turned 50 so shout out to you mike i don't know if he appreciates being aged uh on the show but whatever these things are timeless so it might be cool to listen back to uh in the future uh that's how i see it but either way yeah that came to mind and uh and yeah i'm looking forward to doing vibrant that's definitely one of uh one of the next shows on the many list of shows I've done. And what's cool is I've been doing these like, uh, I don't know, double feature type shows with, um, with other shows I've been guested on. I'll publish them on my feed. Right. So it's like, Hey, these are two episodes that aren't from me where I was a part of it. And I'm putting, you know, so eventually I'll have a couple sweet episodes from your universe or innerverse to, post up over here and bring some more new listeners to the show. So check that out. Uh, I think the last one I did was a grand slam with legit bat. And uh, I've featured a couple conversations that I was there. Uh, huge. Very yeah, long huge. episode. <laughs> very long episode. 
But yeah, you way, brought up Roman. You were talking to Roman from the Rising from the Ashes. Is that true? Yeah, just now today, and and in that conversation as well. Small world, because I was just on Legit Bats for the first time, and on their show, Rising from the Ashes. But I don't think the Ashes is out yet. But who knows? Pretty soon. Now, I got that. a suggestion for you, an idea. This is not like a, a hard, firm suggestion, but <laughs> it's a possible suggestion. Because you were talking about the, the consideration of having a co-host for your show. And I thought that was a cool idea because I've really been appreci- appreciating the magic of the three, especially on the producer end, especially when live. Because I can kind of pull back and just like watch this magic that I orchestrated and get in there when I really want to, but then also manage all the tech side. So my thinking for you, this just popped into my mind because when you said you wanted a co-host, I was like, yeah, buddy, I think Gabriel should do it. Dude. So good. But I thought, you know what? This is your baby. And I was putting myself in your shoes and I've even been thinking the same thing. Like sometimes I really do want a co-host and a bunch of episodes recently. And some I've got planned for the future. I intend to bring Gabe on as like, my wingman for that episode. But here, here's the idea. What if instead of a single co-host, you have a rotating cast of possible co-hosts, and then sometimes you were still just you, and you just flow with it and see what works out best per conversation. And then you can maybe like, your co-host of the day could also be really well-suited for the guest of the day, where they'll ask interesting questions you might not have thought of, but you can trust that they're good for it. Anyway, that's kind of what I'm first seeing doing myself some of maybe not like every episode but frequently looking to pull two people together for a conversation that wouldn't normally run into each other because i think those are some of the most interesting podcasts where you know every podcast major host has talked to every major guest but have every major guest talk to every major guest (laughs) we could see some really interesting crossover just my thoughts that's that's a great point and thank you yeah i feel like uh I may have said that, but I said that in episodes that are unreleased. But something to that effect is kind of what I've resolved to do. So it's very much a case of of parallel uh, thinking. Because well, you are a patron, <laughs> but I don't know. Either way, no, the, I didn't touch those yet. I try, I try to keep up, man. But you're so fast, and there's a lot of good shit out there. Exactly. I didn't expect you to. So that's the thing. It's like. There's definitely a case of parallel thinking going on here because that's kind of where I was leaning towards because I don't want to, like, put too much pressure on one person. I also want to leave it open uh, to uh, the right person. And I think much to what you said is, like, it's it's very much an experiment and also sometimes case by case and, and in our case, topic by topic, you know, so... Lately, I've been I've been like, all right, I've talked a lot about Tartaria, but I think with this new series that Roman and I just kind of kicked off, I don't know how frequent, frequently we'll uh, come together for this, but I want to bring a more serious and professional lens to Tartaria because I think a lot of people are really hip to it and they love it and they love hearing about it. But I, I, unfortunately I think it's starting to become something that turns certain people off. And I never want my show to seem like, Oh, we're all in favor of one thing or another. It's, it's whatever your family could possibly think you're crazy doing. Like I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll talk to a mountaineer. I'll talk to like a guy who, you know, jumps out of planes. Like there's no limit to who I'm going to have on the, the show. Uh, but I do think that there needs to be more of a professional 
uh, academic kind of attempt, because I'm not one of those, you know, attempt at the subject, if we're ever going to get more serious people, like possibly, I mean, really, you know, high up there, people like Graham Hancock to take that subject on, you know, because right now it kind of exists in the same realm as like a lot of just like, I don't want to diminish it, but it's just very pop right now, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I feel you, man. I try to just make the show that I most want to hear. That's my goal, usually. And so that takes me to many places. And I don't stay on one thing too much, but it's cool when there's a theme. And, you know, you can't blame yourself if you have, like, a month of shows that all kind of are similar because that's actually cool for the listener. And you, I'm probably the host, and don't do it on purpose that way. Things just line up. Everything does that when you're doing your flow state. That's a great point. Yeah, no, I'm, and I definitely, when I hear you say that, you know, as long as you've been doing this, I'm sure you've seen the ebbs and flows of different topics and different waves. And it seems to me like that topic definitely hit and, uh, and I've dove into it, but there's definitely, you know, guys like Peter Shampoo, who are out there, who haven't been interviewed. I definitely think you should have them on your show if you haven't already set that up. Um, but like, That's got- on my list of your shows to binge on. Yeah, what I bro. do is I, I go from, like I let one person build up for a couple weeks, and then I go nuts on their feed. And I just like spend a day or two on each person and go from person to person instead of trying to like jump to the current of everything every day because that's so hard. But I yeah, man, I, I was very interested in that conversation. Ley lines are a weak spot in my understanding. Not that I don't have an idea of the concept. It's just that, wow, this, there seems to be so much more to know. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the most fascinating piece of information that I found recently about ley lines came from this book called uh, Latitude 33, uh, the happiest earth. Let me read the proper title of the book as my notebook falls to the ground. Latitude 33, Key to the Kingdom, the Arcane Science and Hermetic Engineering of the Happiest Place on Earth. And they go into how Disneyland was built on the 33rd latitude and all this other stuff. Um, and there's some information they have about ley lines in here and a book called The Handprint of Atlas, which he cites many times throughout the book for pretty interesting information about ley lines, but he talks about how the ley lines are created through this toroidal process that the earth is going through um, between the North and the South pole. So it's, it's really fascinating stuff, but way out of my uh, league right now, I got to read more and wrap my head around it. And that's why, you know, guys like Peter who, you know, to my knowledge had no interviews on any podcasts. And then, you know, Mike, suggests that I look him up. Michelle Gibson suggests that I look him up. I get his book, fall in love with it, reach out to him. And he's like, Hey, yeah, I'll come on your show. So, so that's the kind of thing I'm interested in doing is, is finding guys who, uh, who maybe haven't been on the podcast yet too. And, and the other cool thing too, is like when you read a book and you, you've, you've, you know, looked it over for some time, then, you have a much better interview with them, in my opinion. And that's my goal for myself, co-host or not, uh, to do 
much better uh, research before I interview somebody who uh, who's written a book that I own, you know, because I want to be able to uh, give them a good impression and make them come back, you know, have them, have them feel welcome to come back. Yeah, and uh, ask the questions that aren't the surface level. Exactly. Big time, man. I have a similar goal. I sometimes pull it off, sometimes I don't. But that's the, the flow of things. I mean, if you saw my stack of books right now, I'm getting through. It's amazing that I do any reading with how busy the show is. But <laughs> I hear that. I make time for it. I make time for it. Right now, I'm reading concurrently the series Pie and the English Alphabet by Marty Leeds. Really useful there. Beautiful. I'm also reading The Murder of Reality, Hidden Symbolism of the Dragon by Pierre Sabac, who I just read the majority of his newest book, Holographic Culture, yeah. except for the 120-page glossary. <laughs> I'm going to have to refer to that frequently. He's a definite like white whale guest, and I'm hoping that when he's done writing his next book on the medical mafia, he'll be keen to come on. I think so. But he's got another book coming. And then the third book, which I've been reading for quite a long time, is Clint Richardson and his straw man story. Straw man, the real story of your artificial person. And that one is not a book that you just read in a month or a year. <laughs> it's like <laughs> 1,600 pages. Each page, the print is probably two or three pages of another book in terms of how much text is there. Wow. But it is dense, 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 dense. And that's a guy I recommend you look into. He's very, very deep on the question of reality versus artificiality and the matrix of words and the fake legal system in opposition to natural law. Yeah. I have never really quite been inspired up or inspired. He's like a preacher. As that guy gets me on the subject of like, I want to be private. I don't want to be public. I don't want to, I don't want to be this citizenship, this vessel for commerce. I want to be a living man and just do the right thing and answer to God. Like that would be pretty nice. Right. And it's simpler than, than we make it, I believe. But that's a, another subject. So those are the three books I'm currently reading and, you know, wish me luck. Yeah. <laughs> There's a stack behind them. Yeah, yeah, that last one sounds a little bit like Jordan Maxwell. And then Pierre Sabak, for uh, for those who don't know, has been on the Higher Side Chats. That's where I first heard of him. And I I don't think I finished that interview because it was so uh, new to me that I was like, oh, wow, I, I'm not in the right state of mind to listen to this. Uh, the but nuance is deep and complex with, with Sabak. And he's talking about the, it's all etymology. And that as a philologist, Amateur philologist, I'm super into that. And mm. he demonstrates the the symbolism that's replete through all these languages of antiquity and modernity, where similar word plays and puns and twists of phrase are kept from one language to another and tell the story of the visitors from the sky in the boats, the sky, the sky boats, who rule humanity, I guess, through the occulted influence they have over world government. And there's, I mean, that's just the most basic of introductions to the work. It's vast and it's a really good archive of the symbolic canon, the canon of classical classified material. 
like just to give one in- interesting like tangent of a word that you probably haven't thought about as deeply as the backward that you think about it. Classified or class refers to classes of people as in social strata. It refers to like the lower class and the noble class. By the way, the noble class is the naval class. <laughs> and we'll talk about this if you have me on to talk about like placenta and UFOs. Yeah, and- save some for the <laughs> full the full episode. I'm I'm excited All to things. get this glossary because I love I think glossaries are, are huge. Like uh, I, I remember getting all these illustrated glossaries when I was a kid, and that was a big part of my understanding of how things worked. Yeah, I mean, he's got illustrations in there too. But so, right, a class is classified information. It's the classical tradition in terms of art and literature. Mm. So classified information is encoded in the classical tradition. And only the noble classes or the naval classes to have the decoder ring to understand what's hidden in the symbolism. Third, or the fourthly, a class is referring to a type of vessel in a military sense, uh, different classes, battleships, submarines, whatever, etc. So just in that one word alone, you're referring to so many parts of the puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's all a big class, <laughs> class wow. warfare. Wow. Well, this definitely deserves uh, a longer form episode, but Chance, tell the folks what you've been up to lately before we wrap this intro, outro up. Not sure where it will go yet. Still, you know, once I'm on, I'm sure you know this, once I'm on the editing room floor, it'll all come together. But this is a great (laughs) piece of the puzzle. I think it fits in perfectly with my conversation with Nick Hinton. So please tell the folks where to find your podcast. Innerversepodcast.com. Also on Rockfin, also on YouTube. Those are two of the best places to check out the show because I do the full video thing. I've got a Wednesday night live show called Vibrant. The main show, Innerverse, comes out once a week, sometimes twice, but it's feeling crazy. And then I do, uh, early in the week, I do divination for the group. So like today on my YouTube and Rockfin channel. And I re-upload it other places later, but if you want to catch it live, that's where it's at. I do uh, I Ching and tarot divination for everybody watching. And then sometimes do fun stuff like, like today where I do like a quick mini divination for each of the 12 zodiac signs and people can place that information wherever it fits for them in their particular configuration astrologically. But those are the things I'm doing on the regular. Also, people can find me for sound healing or one-on-one divination. That's like the other gig that's been really great lately. Uh, I've got some secret projects in the works that I can't announce till later, but there's a lot going on and things are moving fast. And it's been super cool to talk to you on this little mini cast, dude. I love the concept. (laughs) I'm kind of married to super long form content, so I'm trying to break out of my format change and this is fun. I appreciate the info. Yeah, I hope this was part of that. And now is maybe a good sequitur for you to go and uh, live stream. So I hope you enjoy that and and carry this inquisitive, curious energy onward. And uh, thanks again, brother. We'll come back together real soon. All right, man. Take it easy. Peace out, bro. And that's the show, folks. Nick Hinton, Chance Garten. Very interesting. Uh suffix to their names there i didn't realize that till just now 
But you know what to do. Patreon, show us some love. Rockfin. We even have some artwork on the website. That's right. My lovely girlfriend, Tara, is an artist. We have her paintings there available on the website. And I have some pendants that I wrapped. Crystal pendants made by yours truly. So if you're into that kind of thing, or maybe you know someone who is, show them some love for this holiday season with a gift from the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast family. That's right. So go over to our website, myfamilythinksimcrazy.com, and check that out. And thank you again, folks, for tuning in to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Have a great moment wherever you are in the now. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.